Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Graham McMillan and I have episode 301 for you, wherein we finish up answering questions asked on Patreon, email, and Twitter. And in addition to talking about our favorite intercompany crossovers, the most overlooked characters and creators in comics, non-dread 2008D comics to recommend, and what part of the past 300 episodes of which we are proudest, we also spend the next half hour discussing the recent news of the massive layoffs at DC and what that might mean for the future of the company. All this and much, much more in this very nearly almost but not quite three-hour episode. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, how are you? Let me just tell you and the whatnots, uh, literally the second before this call started, Jeff called and then hung up for a good answer because your headset was not plugged in and that feels like the weakest speed. <laughs> does it? I guess yeah, it kind it, of does. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a it's been a crazy week. Mm-hmm. Right now in Portland it is like hundred degrees. Mm-hmm. I I have no energy, zero energy in my body whatsoever. Yeah. I have fan pointed directly at me, so if there's any weird hum you're hearing, it's the fan. It's the fan. Are you hearing a hum? Like, yeah. I, I, am I making some strange noises? No, 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 no. Just, just there. The, it, it. There's a slight whir. Yeah, it almost. Yeah, it's there, there's yeah. literally a fan point that's directly at me. Totally makes sense. Totally but, makes so, sense. Sorry, Jeff. Sorry, whatnots. Uh, it's the difference between that or uh, me crying for half the episode because I'm so warm. Mm. Well, yes, we'll make sure that you spend half the episode crying for other reasons. Greg. Exactly. There's all these other reasons that we should be crying. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, it, no, it's it's been uh, it's been quite a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and and thankfully we're Saturday. It is, as you know, and the whatnots don't, uh, the now eight year old's birthday today. Yes. And so there has been a lot of of um, entertaining. That is fabulous. Shall we say? Mm-hmm. A lot of like. Um, Honestly, it's been a fucking joy. Yeah, I'm so it's glad. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, right up till I told him that I was coming to do the podcast. Oh, no! And he was like, it's not even Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, we always record it Saturday. And he's like, no, it's Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, I promise you it's not. <laughs> and he's like genuinely upset. And I was like, I'm really sorry, dude. I promise it's always Saturday. <laughs> Yes, yeah, you're not trying to get out of anything. Aww. Well, the funny thing is, uh, we had timed it. Thanks very much to you agreeing to do the call later than normal. Mm-hmm. We had timed it that I was going to be doing the podcast when he was going to bed. Mm-hmm. And suffice to say, he's not in bed yet. Of course. And when I came upstairs, it didn't look like he was going to be going to bed anytime soon either. Yeah, well, I mean, well, that's... I mean, it's his birthday, so you know. It, it's his birthday plus... It's 100 degrees. It's always Jeff? hard to... Oh, God. Hold on. Yeah? Hold on. Graham? Can oh you God, hear me? Oh, my God. disappeared. Let's try this again. Yes. Can you hear me now? I can. Okay. It told me there was a problem with the network. Okay. Well... I don't know if that's my network or your network. I'm not sure. I think everything's been fine, Are but... you there? Oh, no. son of a bitch. No. Have you disappeared again? Yes. 
I'm still here, damn it. Wait, you're there. No, you are. You keep disappearing. Can you hear me? I can hear you the entire time. So Okay. Something weird's going on. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's on my end because it feels like the internet's consistent. Plus, I can hear you the whole time. Although, maybe that's not the best way to check. Uh, can you, all right. Let, well, let's let's just keep going and hope for the best, I guess. Son of... I mean, part part of the problem is it's really fucking hot. Mm-hmm. And every time it's hot in Portland, like, the Wi-Fi craps out. Yeah, and down but here... All the fucking time. Down here, it is also super hot. I mean, for Moss Beach, it's lovely. It's like 80 degrees, but the whole state, of course, is going crazy, and they've been announcing that there may be rolling power blackouts. Um, oh, good. Between uh, now we, and 10 p.m. Yeah. We do have an excessive heat warning and a red flag warning through tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. We also have a red flag warning for weird bullshit where they're like, there may be dry lightning and fires. And I was like, wow. wow. There may be troubles ahead is what they're really saying. You know, it's kind of like, hey, you've been digging 2020 so far. Like, how would you like some... <laughs> spontaneous dry lightning and forest fires so you can be unhomed and flee for your life yeah so yeah, that'll be fun mm-hmm. you know that's that is where we're going oh lord jeff hey but it could be worse we could be at dc <laughs> or or could have been right i mean i don't know uh, well they're still there is the thing oh right like two or three months or something, right? Yeah, they they uh, they basically were given three months notice. Or That's months. right. California's sixty day notice thing, and then they threw in an extra thirty days on there, which um, which I like. I don't know. Like on the one hand, you don't have to find work immediately, which is great. But on the other, could you imagine working for that company, having been laid off? Right. Like working from home this entire time because no one's going into to a Warner Media office, mm-hmm. you know, anytime in the foreseeable future, definitely past the end of the year. Right. Um, like, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for them. You know, and also, you know, I spent, I spent this week basically talking to DC people. Mm-hmm. And it's fair to say that, like, no one saw this coming. Right. No one had inkling this shit was coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and people were... Everyone was shell shocked. Mm-hmm. The people who are gone, the people who are still there, everyone is in a state of shock. I bet. I bet. You know. I mean, I think. I. I. I mean, as you know, the Friday before the layoffs uh, were announced, if I'm understanding, if I'm remembering my timeline correctly, um, there were actually a bunch of layoffs announced for over at HBO including a lot of the HBO Max architects being cycled out. So it's all part of the same thing. Yes. Right. It's all like Warner Media's layoffs. That's right. Right. Um, and and basically, they and I want to say Warner Media said it was going to do layoffs. Mm-hmm. HBO was first on the Friday. And then it was the Monday that like a lot of Warner Media people find out, including the DC people. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. But the DC thing is like is is astonishingly harsh, mm-hmm. like genuinely staggeringly so. Yeah, uh, a third of editorial, mm-hmm. basically all the big name VPs, mm-hmm. bar Jim Lee, who mm-hmm. is, seems to be like the only executive who stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there was a lot of confusion over whether Jim Lee had the publisher title or didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, a, a, a lot of confusion yes. about that. Um, to the point where everyone assumed he didn't until the THR article went up. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was... It, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing to see, like, how... How deep the cuts actually went. DC Direct, for all intents and purposes, is gone. Right. DC Universe, for all intents and purposes, is gone. Right. Uh, although, like, you saw the Jim Lee interview, right? I did. I did. I thought so it was interesting. We'll link to it. Yeah. I mean, it was very... I've seen a lot of criticism of that interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, not of Boris's questions, mm-hmm. but of, of Jim's responses. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them basically are like he's a shell of a man now he's reduced to doing this sort of corporate speak <laughs> with the best will in the world to jim who's a really nice guy mm-hmm. that's how jim has always i was about, about to this. say yeah exactly i mean like, I, this is yeah. nothing new mm-hmm. jim, this is literally nothing new mm-hmm. um the people who were like i can't believe this is what he's been reduced to have either never read a Jim Lee interview or have at least not read a Jim Lee interview in like the last 10 years. Or even paid attention to the man's career, for God's sakes. Like, he is, like, without a doubt, he is the dude who would win Survivor, the direct comic market edition. You know what I mean? Like, it's just clear that he's... I mean, the thing that interested me about that article was more the fact that he has a huge facility for um basically like like he's great at not at at looking like he's answered a question and then when you kind of look at it realize that what he said is a lot a lot more diplomatic and circumspect than, well, than it but, sounds. But that's that's what he's always done. Right. It used to be back in the day, back in the day, earlier this year, it would be Jim and Dan. Right. Right. And I loved talking to the two of them mm-hmm. because Jim would give the professional answer, answer and Dan wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was like talking to two sides of the same brain. Right. Right. And they actually played off really well against each other. Mm-hmm. They really genuinely did. Um, but as someone who would talk to them professionally, it was also really good because you'd get an idea of basically where DC's business interests lay mm-hmm. versus, and, for, for all intents and purposes, where its fanish interests lay. Right. Right? Yeah. And and Dan obviously is gone. Mm-hmm. And Dan's been gone for a few months now. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like, it's even saying a few months is weird. It feels like it's been years. Yeah, doesn't but, it? Yeah. But yeah. it's not, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but but now there's just Jim, mm-hmm. you know? And everything in that Jim Lee interview is very Jim. Mm-hmm. There is no, like, for everyone being like, I can't believe he's so corporate. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. He's not actually putting on any any persona for that interview. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. That's legitimately who he is. Uh, and when he's talking about, uh, you know, uh, for example, following the the injustice model of publishing, right? Then justice was a big success, and it was digital, and then they brought it into print. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's how he approaches this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I talked to him when DC Universe launched, and he has a genuine passion for the idea of digital comics mm-hmm. and and for the idea of 
well, that's where the audience is, so we should go where the audience is. Right. As opposed to any particular, but we should also serve the fan market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say he's saying fuck the fan market, because I don't think he is. No, no, not at all. But I think actually Injustice is a perfect example, both of it and kind of Lee, because Lee was strong. Like, there's Injustice as the comic that was digital and then did well in print, but to, of course, drill it down even further... It was a video. It was a video game with yeah, featuring the DC time. characters, yeah. and Lee spent a lot of time, is my understanding, you know, o- overseeing, if nothing else, visual design elements to it. You know, yeah, I'm fairly sure he was involved in the, the, the art direction of the game. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so yeah, all, all of that seemed very. Um, yeah, very much in his wheelhouse. I don't, I don't know Leah at all. It, it was, it, but yeah, none of it really struck me as off-brand. I think what it is is just that, as you pointed out, we're used to seeing interviews with Lee and DiDio, and DiDio is the more gar- garrulous one. So, yeah, the, and also to be fair. Dan would also be the one who'd basically speak the language that these people are wanting Jim to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, not just in terms of, like, he's more outgoing mm-hmm. or he's more gregarious. He'd speak in terms of, like, looking at this as a reader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jim has always kind of approached it as, like, what's the best thing for the company? What's the best thing for the DC brand? Right. Right. right, which is probably part you know, of and, why and he lined up perfectly there, yeah. with AT and T. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's uh, it's disappointing, I think, for comics fans mm-hmm. to look at Lee's interview mm-hmm. and see that it's very clear for him comics are part of DC and not the core of DC, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think for Jim, and I think he'd, he'd, he'd admit this, although obviously he comes from comics himself, but I think he'd admit that, like, comics is, as much as anything for him, a feeder into what else DC can be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the heart. Mm-hmm. And I think Dan, it always was clearly about the comics. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, again, the year the DC Universe launched... Asked any question about DC Universe, Dan would be like, "That's Jim's baby." Mm. Like, talk to Jim about that. He knows more about that than I do. Mm. You know, uh, and 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 that's true. Again, going back two years, Jim was massively excited about DC Universe because, again, it's how to get DC as a brand in front of people. Yeah, it's how to expand the reach of DC as a brand. Mm-hmm. It's how to expand the reach of the characters, but the characters aren't comic characters for him mm-hmm. they're DC characters and DC publishes comics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and I think that's something that uh, worries a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, because because there is this fear of like you know if DC decides to, to pivot away from printing comics mm-hmm. that's disastrous for the comic industry right, right. like it legitimately is uh, and there is some fear in not having a comics person. Uh, even though, like, again, Jim came from comics, but there is some fear about not having someone who centers comics mm-hmm. as the person who is 
in charge of DC. And as chief creative officer, Jim is in charge of DC. Right. Right. Well, yes, especially with DiDio's gone, Bob Harris is gone, which is, you know, a big shakeup uh, behind well, the I mean, scenes. I mean, if you look at all the editorial that's gone, mm-hmm. they got rid of a third of editorial. Right. But, like, they got rid of Harris, they got rid of Brian Cunningham, who was basically senior story editor. They mm-hmm. got rid of Mark Doyle. And one of the things that a lot of people aren't talking about is... DC basically doesn't have a mature readers program now. Yeah, that's right. Not not in the, not in the way that Vertical used to be. No, no, it no. Is no. Black Label, mm-hmm. Which basically exists as like adult takes on on DC universe characters. Right, right. No, I mean honestly, as you can see, and this is the part that is both sort of um, heartening and encouraging uh, in a way. Out of all the other stuff that came out, which is including. You know, you can't really be happy about seeing, a, you know, a third of a workforce get get laid off. That's just ghastly. But it is it's amazing that um, what Marie Javins. Right. And there's another Michelle, Michelle Wells and Marie Javins are now co-editors in chief. Right. Which is amazing in a way like it's it's two women and it's two women who really prove like also prove the success of YA material uh, in in the bookstore market, right? So, yeah, although, although Marie is, for the last few years, has been much closer to, like, the central... Well, it's, it's weird. Marie has been simultaneously closer to the central hub of the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. She's been doing a bunch of DC Universe books. But she's also, to the best of my knowledge, like, been working a lot on digital stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, you basically have the woman in charge of the... the YA in middle grade line, Michelle mm-hmm. Wells. Right. And the charge of digital being placed in the center of publishing. Yeah, right. I mean, I think you know, Which, that... again, it's rewarding where DC wants to go. Yes. Which makes sense. Again, from a business point of view, totally yeah. makes sense. Yep. Marie, again, has, like, I've, very few people in editorial anywhere match Marie's experience in mm-hmm. the industry. Absolutely. Like, she's, she's, she's been around for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, she's worked with so many fucking amazing creators and she's always kept herself interested in new things mm-hmm. and that that's completely laudable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know michelle wells has really pushed the the young reader line i mean incredibly well mm-hmm. she's really built the line from scratch at dc yeah and and you know that can't be overlooked mm-hmm. but again you look at what's missing now mm-hmm. you know it's 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 uh in the opposite of funny. It's very sad that the say like Monday saw all the DC layoffs. Friday sees the news that um, the new Hellblazer series is ending with issue twelve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually a bunch of fucking books are ending at DC. And the, oh, these were all decisions made before the layoffs. Right. Uh, Hellblazer's ending. Suicide Squad is ending, which makes me really sad. Tom Taylor's Suicide Squad was fucking is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ending with issue eleven, which is really sad. Oof. Um, Aquaman's ending, Hawkman's ending, Teen Titans is ending. Hmm. Uh, but but Hellblazer is done with issue twelve, mm-hmm. and you know I people said this publicly. I've talked to people privately. It wasn't cancelled. Mm-hmm. It was given a twelve issue order with the idea that like if it really did fucking great, mm-hmm. then it would extend, and it basically didn't do great mm-hmm. in terms of sales. Right. You know, like it probably escaped a lot of people's notice. But the Dreaming relaunch, G. Willow Wilson's Dreaming relaunch, right, was announced as twelve issues. Mm-hmm. 
because that's clearly as far as they're willing to go with this stuff now. Mm-hmm. All of the Hill House books were, I think, six issues. Right. Or less. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, there's a very, very, very tight leash on anything resembling non-DC Universe Mature Readers material at DC right now. Right. And with with Mark Doyle gone, mm-hmm. it kind of feels very much like maybe we're just not going to see any more of that. Any more of what? Mature Readers material that isn't based on existing concepts at oh. DC. Got it, got it. Yeah, no, I'm. I would be very surprised uh, because I think this is this is something that you have, you and I have talked about. I think hopefully for the most part, you know, online and on the podcast. But I very much remember you going to San Diego last year and looking at and talking to the people. In DC, really, the people from AT and T coming into DC, you know, and there's everything, and and the moves that we've seen since then, including, you know, the contraction uh, of all the sort of DCU, DC Young, DC POW, you know, like they're trying to simplify and streamline the brand and. When you're doing that, I it sort of doesn't make it make it makes a lot of sense that you are going to contract and um and focus on your primary interests. And the fact is, like DC is sitting on a shit ton of of IP. Like the yes, extent yeah. to which it I mean, needs more eight decades worth. Yeah, right. So I mean, at that point, it's kind of like. You know, they they can just take the name Slam Bradley and turn it into whatever the fuck they want, you know, and they don't really have to pay out as far as as creators go. You know what I mean? The the part that's very scary is how much AT and T is. We'll see, but they they they. They are used to and very comfortable with selling product. Selling creative material is different. Uh, is yes, it, and, and 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 this is not something that's limited to DC. We should point this out. Like HBO is suffering very similar. Yes, problems. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, we've seen a lot of stuff with what AT and T is doing, including to an extent. I feel diminishing the HBO brand in a way by using it as a as for HBO Max. yeah, exactly yeah. for HBO yeah. Max. I, and I, I will I will say this. In mm-hmm. regards to what you're saying, mm-hmm. a repeated comment I've heard mm-hmm. across this week mm-hmm. from people who actually know about this shit mm-hmm. is it's not AT and T, it's Warner Media. Mm-hmm. Warner Media is basically making these moves independently of AT and T to make itself. More attractive to AT and T, but right. there's not there's nothing that has come from AT and T. This is not an AT and T move. Well, okay. I, no, I've heard that mm-hmm. from a lot. I've heard that from enough people that I actually believe it. Put mm-hmm. it that way. Okay, okay. Uh, and I've heard it from enough different people mm-hmm. that I believe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, not that like you know, AT and T plays no part because there is presumably Warner basically trying to second guess AT and T here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? But not just in terms of DC, in terms of HBO as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That this is Warner Media as a company basically trying to streamline mm-hmm. in order to be more profitable to AT and T. Yeah, I uh, I will. I, I, I it's, it's funny. Like this came up first of all because I was talking to someone again who is in the know mm-hmm. and who is not a DC person, I should say, mm-hmm. but who is in the know. And I said AT and T is a shorthand, mm-hmm. and they were pissed. Like they they were like angrily being like, "It's not fucking AT and T. AT and T doesn't know shit about this." Mm-hmm. Like, AT&T probably doesn't even know that DC is still publishing comics. <laughs> like, this is AT&T. This is Warner's. Mm-hmm. This is 100% Warner's trying to do something in advance. Uh, maybe. Yeah, okay. I mean, I let's when I say maybe, I'm like, okay, that sort of, like, well, I can't rule it out, but sure. Like, but also, it's it's splitting the hairs, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you say AT and T, like I when I said AT and T to this person, it's shorthand for the owners of the company, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Like you ultimately don't care if it's you know, Mister Big Bucks at AT and T or Mister Big Bucks at Warner Media who's right. looking at DC and being like streamlined. Well, like it doesn't. Yeah. No. I'm. I. I. I I'm just. You know yes. I. I do see what you're saying. And and it's really foolish for me to keep making half-hearted noises because I'm absolutely, you know, sure that whoever you're t- talking to is right and your sources are impeccable. Um, I will say, and there have been signs, like, for example, whenever Joss Whedon got his order to develop an HBO series, which is like two plus years now ago i want to say although it could be wrong um that to me was a big indication there had been rumblings that the people the people who were in charge of hbo at that point had been under tremendous pressure to you know again everyone got the sense that disney plus was coming and what it meant um and and also kind of that idea of HBO had done so much in its own kind of precious way um, that that when they I think when they got taste of the big bucks created by something like Game of Thrones, you know, a lot of people at the upper upper end of things were like, well, shit, you know, like if people want you know, series with like boobs and swear words, we'll just give them boobs and swear words. Like, you know, get six people on that. Even, even something like Perry Mason, which who boy, did that thing shit the bed at the end of it. Did it? Uh, Cause you were, you seemed, uh, I was into it. I was into it. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, they fucked it up. They were good for the first. uh, I mean, it was, I mean, it's like eight episodes long. I was pretty enthused for the first five or six. Seven kind of left me feeling like it wasn't going to go right. And then eight really just rode right off the rails. And I mean, not fully off the rails, but uh, but like some real 
they just went they went full speedo on us basically if you if you know what i mean um and i really don't i figured I that really you would don't. yeah 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 uh so um one of the earliest sketches in the Mitchell and Webb look um that Edie and I ever saw was basically uh interviews with lazy TV writers and and it was to you know, they were british and they were talking about how you know kind of like they w- had been told to write an american legal drama and of course they couldn't really be bothered to do the research so they figured you know so they're being interviewed and they're talking very enthusiastically um chalking up their 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 lack of research to the power of imagination and all kinds of wiggle words and then you see the show and the show is an american lawyer drama called speedo and it's a lawyer who like loves two things wearing speedos and justice and what's great is not only is it everyone including people like olivia coleman doing uh ridiculous american accents but the courtroom scenes are just you know deliberately hilariously bad they also did this with a medical drama where people are just making up terms and you know like people who don't have any medicine skills at all trying to come up with a, a suspenseful medical drama so perry mason has scenes where like in the last episode where they just start cheating so badly that i like really i kept looking at Edie being like i why are they doing a courtroom drama and then having situations that would never happen happen especially since the whole thing is season the final episode of perry mason more or less starts off with a sequence that is totally playing up and playing off of the traditional perry mason concept of the law like yeah yeah. it's you know it starts off with him in trial and he's introducing the surprise evidence and the surprise witness and he's right on the verge of making the main dude confess and then of course it turns out that it's all just um uh yeah a fantasy staging of this is this is how the they're they're doing their mock trial sort of thing and you see it and it's like oh it's really just him and him and him and him in the room and it's like anyway it was bad it was bad and what was amazing was it follows right on the heels of run which we also like adored the first four episodes for did you yeah oh someone watched it and did not like it let's hear it graham let's Uh, no i i liked maybe the first couple yeah uh and then i liked the show progressively and then by the time phoebe waller bridge showed up I bailed. I didn't even watch the last episode. Oh, you're smart. Well, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, I think she shows up in four, and then there's five. She and shows six, up, at, right? Yeah, she shows up. Like, the, she definitely showed up in the two last episodes I watched, and I didn't watch the last episode. She shows up like the yeah. third last episode. Right. So the first three are actually the strongest. The fourth is where she shows up, and you're like, and you were entirely right to bail because it's so diminishing returns that 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 by the time uh the final episode rolled <laughs> like Edie's responses the credits rolled were like fuck them so it was like oh that's oh good did it did it finish because i have the horrible feeling that it won't that it'll be like setting up season two and it's like this is not a show that's two years in it no yeah no they end it they, they sort of it is 
it's not re- I mean it's sort of resolved but something happens in I don't remember which episode I guess probably episode 4 uh that by the time you get to episode the death? yeah the death because honestly, the death is what the death is when I was like, "Well, this is fucking ridiculous." Yeah, no, exactly. Like, the death was also when I like I completely, like it completely broke any faith I had with the, oh, with completely. the series, yep. with the characters, with all of it. Yeah, no. The thing that was really interesting is the first three episodes. But well, let's take it. Let's roll it back. The first two episodes do a really good job, seeming like it's going to be sort of a uh, genre screwball thing, and then the ability of the actors to really sell the moments makes you think that it's going to be kind of like, almost like a good road trip movie, like with more, I don't know, romantic drama, I guess. But then they start bringing in, once they bring in his former assistant, potential lover and how she meets up and makes best friends with Merritt Weaver's character. You're like, Oh, Oh. And then when they just doubled down with that, with the stolen suitcase and the money and then, yeah. Yes. And it yeah. was just like, no, what are you and guys like when, doing? And like when the yeah. death happens yep. and they're all like, no, let's keep running. Yeah. That was honestly the bit where I was like, no. Yeah. No. Like, and that's this right. Works, exactly. This works when it is, low stakes that are personally high stakes exactly you know is she running away from her family right that works are they literally killing someone and then going on the run yeah it's an entirely different show yeah and it breaks the show yeah it broke the show and you were right the rest of the show is broken four five and six terrible and incredibly diminishing returns which was just so heartbreaking because the first two parts (laughs) Really were like it was like oh it's good. this is gonna work and and uh, um, is it Dominic Gleason is that his name yeah Dominic Gleason yeah Dominic Gleason and Merritt Weaver had really had very good chemistry and it was also great what I thought what we were getting in the first two episodes in particular was very much that sort of flea baggish style of. You you got to see a female character do all sorts of quote unquote bad things, but in a way that made you really not quite root for her, but totally like identify with her. Slash, she kind of had she kind of had your heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You empathized with her. Even yeah, you didn't like agree with her exactly. it's interesting like i think that i don't think the fleabag comparison works at all mm-hmm. because i think fleabag works on for want of a better way of putting it a deeper level than run does well yeah because because fleabag doesn't shit the bed after two episodes no no but, but like even before that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i feel that run was was uh maybe intentionally mm-hmm. more surface level mm-hmm. and and didn't quite have the i mean fleabag by the time you get to the end of the first season is really fucking hard yeah right when you when you realize what has happened yes no absolutely which really does unfold very well over the first season yeah very much like so. fleabag, fleabag is heartbreakingly tragic oh of course. shockingly like you know breathtakingly tragic uh and when you realize actually did you watch the 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 stage version when no. Amazon had it? No, no. Um, it's 
it's really good, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's more brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they soften the TV version. I could believe that, yeah. yeah. Um, but but even the softened version on the TV show mm-hmm. is is kind of shocking yeah. still. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. And makes so much – everything else in the series make more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfolds it. And Run never had that. You know, Run, all, again, on the surface was kind of like, oh, you have this, you know, you have a woman acting transgressively, but you you empathize with her. But it also was like, but there's a mystery. Like, it sort of shouted at you. Right. And one of the things I liked about Fleabag is it really didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, sort of bought into the surface level of Fleabag. Well, yeah. And then realized, like... Oh no, there there is a mystery here, right? No, I mean, and that's it, right? Exactly. They they flip it, and and I I agree with you one hundred percent on that. So, but yeah, kind of a bummer. We come for the comics, and we talk about TV shows. Yeah, woo! Take that Q and A episodes. Yeah, that's right. We got some Qs. We got to do some As. Like uh, we should probably get with that. Yeah. Yeah, but we should like. Like I think both of us wanted to say something about DC, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so, I, so that's I, yes. Why, I'm that's really why, glad that we brought started. it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, that part I, was good. Yeah, <laughs> I will say this: I don't know where, like, I genuinely don't know what's going to happen from all this DC stuff, and I don't think anyone does. No, you, you would know? have to think nobody does. I would think so many of the plans are off the table, and I'd be curious to see who they're expecting to come in and put plans on the table, you know, in that yeah. sense. So... Yeah, I, it's, it, feels, it feels very up in the air. It feels mm-hmm. very utterly, completely up in the air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at it optimistically, that's when crazy shit can happen. But like looking at it realistically, it's I can't imagine how difficult it is working there right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. No, it's yeah, gotta be because rough. who who the fuck even knows at this point like what is going to like the, the Lisa in the THR interview, there's been no pencils down notice. Right. Great. Mm-hmm. But say you've been working on something that's in development. Right. Yeah. You have no idea if that's gonna make it there. Mm-hmm. And even if it does say print, you have no idea how long it's going to have mm-hmm. a lifespan mm-hmm. for. If things like Hellblazer get twelve issues, and so on. if the fucking Dreaming spinoff gets mm-hmm. twelve issues and it's done, mm-hmm. like that's it's 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 it can't be good. Yeah, I I I I definitely agree. It's hard working there. To me, the people like. Dudes like Andy Curry, who did some really great work and also did uh, made it a point to shepherd new stuff through that got a lot of critical attention to have that and still get laid off has got to, I think, really be frustrating and sting. You know what I mean? Like that whole idea of like, yeah, we really appreciate you going to the wall for Omega Men and more or less you know, helping Tom King launch his career. Goodbye. You know, oh, and great job with getting Stefan Subject's really impressive Harleen black label thing that we got so much acclaim over, you know. Yeah, catch you later. Catch you later. Yeah. Yeah. See you at Barcon 2023. Yeah. 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 You know, it's it's just, as we said, 
you have to wonder whether, like Axel Alonso fucked off from Marvel and started Artist Rights as an artist. Like, you have to wonder if there's going to be a new publisher coming from all of this. With everyone that's just been let go. Well, like, there's literally a talent to do a new publisher. Well, sure. There is more than enough talent. The problem is, is that, you know, we're still in a COVID marketplace. Like, there is not... I mean, it would be interesting to see if you were going to get this kind of contraction if there hadn't been COVID. It would be, it would be much more shocking. Um, but... You know, well, no, that that's just it. Like, mm-hmm. it's the industry, all of the entertainment industries right now, yeah, are are kind of operating blindly. Mm-hmm. Comics arguably less than most. That's right. But like, realistically, like movies and television have no fucking idea what the future is going to look like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, again, I think that. I would not be surprised if we see a publisher or multiple publishers coming from this, just from the amount of people who have been laid off. Mm. Uh, it just needs the money, man. And honestly, as something like Artist Writers and Artisans makes clear, or for that matter, Valiant way back when. See, I was thinking more like, Valiant, really. Yeah, but like you'll find the money, man, if you position it properly. Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, part of me is sort of, it's kind of Everyone funny that you mentioned that. The new Marvel. Well, sure, but... But dot dot dot. No, I I agree. I agree. I'm just saying. Yeah. I like I suspect if if people from DC aggressively wanted to do it, mm-hmm. they could probably find the money. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I, I again, if COVID I, again, wasn't going on, absolutely. But in the yeah. middle of COVID, I think what happens is they'll have a lot of strong interest from people who are going to say. You know, yeah, let's wait nine months and see what we're looking at before we get started. You know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I I think that's it. Yeah, Yeah. I I think I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, questions. Yes. Dang it. Um, Do you. uh, So we're picking up. I added a few at the end that I don't know if you saw because we had one or two. Uh, people. I I did not. Right. That's okay. Okay, great. Um. But oh boy, we go we go, we come back if we're picking up where we left off with Douglas O'Keefe's question, which is actually a really big question. Yeah. Um. Let's let's go into it anyway, Jeff. Let's let's sure. Let's do it. Caution be damned. Yeah. Douglas O'Keefe says, "I'm a teacher of eighth to twelfth graders, ages twelve to eighteen, in San Francisco, and I'm trying to assemble a small set of comic books, single issue floppies, to have in my classroom, available for casual reading and possibly for cl- classroom lessons. A small set means about twenty different issues. For most of the kids, they may be the only floppies they ever read. For some, maybe the only comics they ever read. So I want them to be really good, right? Not just an example of good series, but a great issue from that series. I also want as much." variety as possible to sell the kids in comics so i was wondering uh so i was hoping you each might offer say four possibilities single issues you love i've got a pile of my own in progress i've got a barks uncle scrooge stanley's lulu your beloved omac one good choice <laughs> and daredevil 164 right. i've got a martin peter wonder woman reprint of course and Fra- fractions hawkeye issue two where kate and clint team up 
I wanted Paper Girls number one, but those girls square, swear down them. My school of the moment is somewhat strict. The choices can't have any sex or swearing in them. This being the USA, massive violence is fine, however. Also, please stick to American comics. Violence not required. What I really don't want is stuff that reaches pandering or conversely overly didactic. Don't worry about availability or cost. I bought with reprints and the cheapness of low-grade issues. I want my students to learn that comics are fun and cool to read. Powerful or funny or astute or weird or wildly imaginative good stuff like that Ugh. Jeff I know you will have been thinking about this you know I, I it's tough because of course I do try to generally put in the work but Douglas O'Keefe's suggestions are all really good like part of me is like I don't want to follow that I mean I might try I might I, start spitballing some stuff but every time I, I read that one yeah I've had, I've had ones where I was like shit but it doesn't fit the criteria Okay. For example, I would say Graffiti Kitchen by Eddie Campbell, but there's sex and swearing in there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But like it's a single issue, I think it's great. Like mm, and I think mm. it does something that like the other comics aren't doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like a Dork, I think issue seven. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Durkin's comic, which is about depression mm-hmm. and about creative block. Yeah. Uh, I I haven't read it recently, but I'm fairly sure there's no swearing past like maybe a goddammit. Yes. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's an amazing single issue comic. Yes. That, yeah. that, that's a genuinely staggeringly good. And honestly, never mentioned enough single issue comic mm-hmm. that, that just is a wonderful unpicking of the creative process. Mm-hmm. And also talking about mental health. I think it's a really, really, really great one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I keep coming back to I want a Darwin Cook comic in there. I think I want an issue of New Frontier. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe issue one. Hmm. Issue one is the the lo- the losers on Dinosaur Island, and then you get the Hal Jordan thing, right? Yeah, See, uh, in the war, mm-hmm. as far as it goes. Um, but I think that's a really good issue, mm-hmm. and I think that what Cook does in that, in terms of like storytelling, mm-hmm. is is again unlike other things that are happening there, mm-hmm. um, but also really good, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, on quasi-related lines, I know that a lot of people have a lot of problems with them, but I would try and find a Will Eisner Spirit reprint in there somewhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Kitchen Sink reprinted the whole thing in the 80s, and there's got to be cheap copies of that flying around somewhere. Right, right. Um, but there, like, there's some genuinely great Spirit stuff out there that, again, just from a, a storytelling point of view... Is is you know literally we're studying, but also works really great as like adventure comics. Mm-hmm. Works really great, like straightforward, just like thrilling adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd probably want to have either a Cook or an Eisner in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept wondering, would I suggest uh, a Giffen to Matty's Justice League? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. because they did. I, they did sitcom comics, mm-hmm. you know, and when they were great, they were great. Right. You know, like there, there's, uh, I'm trying to think of like specific issues. It, it's, uh, I might go for the issue. Uh, God, what issue is it? Um, issue eight where they're moving into all the embassies and it's just straightforward sitcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the issue where, Hmm. What are what are really really good issues? There's, uh, 
I would I go for the first episode of the Kui 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 storyline? <laughs> God, would I? Maybe I would. That's terrible. <laughs> but again, like I like I'd go for something that had the broad comedy. <laughs> you know, um, there's probably an annual in there that's really good, like as a as a one off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, like I I went towards those. I also went towards saying like just I know you've got Omak in there, but like the packed issue of New Gods. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, is is great, and again, like this great big mythic storytelling mm-hmm. that I that I think is wonderful. Hmm. Um, yeah. So I like I've I've I mean I think I've, I think I have just suggested four. <laughs> yeah, I think you have at least those are those are great picks. Um, you know, based on what we were talking about last week, of course, we threw out a lot of recommendations, and I actually think because I think Scott Pilgrim might be swear free as well. And but it's not. That's the problem. Because, like, I can think of what it's not a single issue. Well, yeah, but like that, like that's that was something I kept coming up against this because I was like, Nimona, it's not a single issue; it's a graphic novel, right? You know, Kate Beaton stuff; it's not a single issue; it's a graphic novel. But yeah, okay. I, I'm like, no, it's a single issue of Scott Pilgrim. You know, it's just, sure, but it's not yeah. self-contained. But yeah. you know. Like you can read that and get a good chunk of stuff and get really excited and interested about the medium. Cause I think, you know, hmm, there's always that weird, like you kind of want to do stuff that, that, that is, I think there's a lot of stuff that's timeless, you know, like for me going on and on about a lot of stuff we did at the silver age DC, um, stuff, uh, last episode but there's also stuff that is nice where it feels like it's mm, modern and i remember one of the things that's so great about scott pilgrim was how much it just felt like a very organic meshing of a lot of influences and I'm not meaning I'm not meaning to downplay Scott Pilgrim. I'm just saying, like format wise, it doesn't fit. The no, question. no. Well, I know, but I I just want you to know this episode's going to say Graham says no to Scott Pilgrim is exactly. the title episode. Graham hates Scott Pilgrim. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so no, yeah, like you know, there's it's it's that is a problem because a lot of the a lot of the material that I would recommend otherwise isn't a single issue floppy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of like a lot of exciting material that will turn people onto comics is manga, is web comics, right? Is is graphic novels, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, you know, if we're completely honest, the most exciting material that has come out of comics in the last ten years is not a single issue floppy. Um, yeah, every once in a while, though, you read a single issue floppy, though. That's oh, yeah. pretty great. Or again, there's sort yes. of that history. So, I mean. The single-issue floppy for both purposes of storage and, um, you know, as as a low-stakes way to get someone to interested, you know? No, exactly. It's 20 pages. It's in its out. I know this from, again, you know, the eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. He loves the idea of Judge Dredd. He loves the visual of Judge Dredd. Right. He loves when I explain Judge Dredd stories to him. <laughs> he is terrified by the case files books mm-hmm. oh yeah that makes sense they're, they're phone books yeah yeah they're just huge they're huge yeah they're oh. big phone books yeah and so he's like um no right right yeah never mind 
Never mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So for the American comics, I don't think that I, one one that came to mind while you were talking, and I thought they all of your suggestions were great. So I might only just throw in one or two, but one that made me think was. Uh, like the hundredth anniversary issue of Avengers, uh, it's a one shot by J- written and drawn by James Stoko, and I think oh, yeah. Stoko is is great for here's kind of here's what comics can do and just sort of sets your mind on fire, you know. Um, so that that was one where I was like, yeah, yeah, let's get that in, and of course, I every time I'm like. Yeah, OMAC. OMAC was just, it's such nightmare fuel. Um, honestly, part of me is also kind of like, I am I think that, like, Devil Dinosaur is, to me, like, I couldn't really get into the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur stuff, but I think throwing, that, throwing an issue in there is a good idea, because I just think that, you know, kids, a kid whose best friend is a dinosaur is great. You know, and yeah, I, of yeah. course, for me, the original Kirby stuff, like the Kirby stuff that's just fantastic. I'm, I'm really into. So, I mean, you know, it's, um, yeah. So, so there was an issue of Batgirl Adventures that I loved that was drawn by Rick Burchett, I think. And, uh, a story was by Paul Dini and it's, it's Batgirl versus Harley Quinn and Harley's trying to maneuver Batgirl and it's on Christmas I believe is trying to maneuver her across Gotham City to help her with a purpose that she can't make her talk about so she's just having her chase her so it's just all kind of dynamic storytelling and I I think that sort of stuff is just ridiculously fabulous um you know, uh, it's tough because I'm like, there, there, there is, uh, you know, this is where I start getting really folkish. Like, yeah, you know, it's great. Is uh, Claremont, Claremont's uh, X Men? You know, get him in, get him in around like uh, Kitty's fairy tale at like one fifty three. Who knows? I mean, honestly, but you know, but by the same token, part of me is kind of like, yeah, if you throw in like that, just that one issue where it's like Paul Smith and like the X-Men have been infected by the brood or whatever. And it looks like they're all going <laughs> to die and the designs are great. Like, it's kind of like part of me is like, I, I think any kid would read that and be like, okay, but, but where's the next one? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. What happens next? But that's like, that was when we were kids, that was the stuff that brought you in. Right. Right. Like you read it. And it is just like, I don't know what this is, but I'd also want to know what happens next. Right. Right. Yeah. So, no, like I like it would be good to have something that is, you know, for want of a better way to put it, like in the middle of a storyline, you drop you in in media res, but actually ends in a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, no. So people are like, okay, but, mm-hmm. but what happens? Right. Well, and yeah. I mean, and it, that is that was usually again, Walking Dead did a really good job accumulating a lot of readers, and made it a point to always end on some sort of emotional cliffhanger uh, like a cliffhanger or an emotional cliffhanger of some kind and it works really well you see vaughn actually really dipping into that for saga as well um and paper girls i think but um uh, of course uh 
Paper Girls, right. but Walking Dead, neither sex nor swearing in Walking yes. Dead. Yes, oh, agreed. Yeah, famously yeah. clean the entire time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm just saying, Graham, they're books that are interesting. Let's move along, Douglas. If we can think of more, I'll th- uh, if I can think of more, because Graham did his his dilet duty. Um, I will I will throw more in there. Um, you know, part of me is like, yeah, like. EC cigar Popeye stuff. Ooh, what was it? There was that one Tom Neely drawn issue of Popeye that I thought was just beautiful. And was that was that Roger Lankridge writing it? And and yeah, uh, it was. And yeah, him it drawing was. it. And that was that was some awesome stuff. Like that's going to be in a quarter bin somewhere. Um, and was terrific. Uh, yeah. Gosh, you know. Anyway, so um. Is there is there swearing in fractions, Jimmy Olsen? Because you know that Jimmy Olsen. There is not, and Jimmy Olsen was really good. Yeah, there there's got to be something which again does a great job. Wow, Siri did something where she thought that I was talking to. Oh, her. it's yes, I've had that, and it's the greatest thing where Siri all of a sudden is like, "I'm giving you an answer," and it's like I really wasn't asking. I, the question. I, I couldn't. I, I could, promise. Yeah, could not care less. Yeah. So let's move on. Yes. Yes. Right. Dan White. Hey, Dan asks, if you were to do a podcast about something other than comics, what would it be about? And would you be able to get 300 episodes out of it? I will answer the second question first. Yes. If we realize the same thing that we both realize about Wait What, Mm -hmm. which is it's not about the comics. Right. It's about you, me and you talking. Right. Right. Yes. To that extent, finding something that we could talk about like as a topic is is arguably a little dicier. I mean, I do feel like our best episodes I, I are when we go off. I would genuinely do 300 episodes of uh, talking about music with you. Well, see, and this is it. I, I have had, I've of course thought like, because you can do 300 episodes on music. I don't know if I can keep up with you, but I think I if we had a lot of digressions. talking about your music collection. <laughs> I love this. The Graham McMillan Challenge. Jeff, I'll do it on your music now. Um, yeah, music was what came to mind. You, you can play a song and we will talk about it. <laughs> I have to say, considering how much I enjoyed our talk about Toxic the other week, I honestly believe it's got a good shot. I believe it's got a good shot. Um, uh, so, yeah, I was thinking that or maybe possibly food, because I, I feel like food is one of the things that I am um, able to that I have uh, kind of like music. Like music is is one where, like I said, I felt like for a long time I could totally sort of semi come close to holding my own. Food is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I can. If we're just oh, talking I, about, I, I am not enough of a of a foodie. Well, but, yeah, there's foodies, I, I, I but just, you know, yeah. but but there's a little bit that, of that's the. It. Yeah, Jeff, I want to tell you what I had for dinner tonight. Yes, perfect. <laughs> I've told you before about Malka, the the restaurant here in town that I'm madly in love with, right? Yes. So this, what I got from them for takeout tonight was called a bellflower, and I'm going to read the description from the menu. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. 
Crispy jasmine rice salad with peaches, marion berries, pineapple, strawberries, blueberries, fresh corn, green beans, cabbages, green papaya, avocado, mora mora mustard greens, and spring greens. Pickled peppers, lemongrass, ginger, toasted rice powder, lots of herbs, peanuts, lime leaves, cashews, coconut, sesame, crispy shallots, and parsnips with coconut lime fish dro- sauce dressing. Mm. Also, you can have a vegan gluten-free dressing on request. Oh, man. You can have that with chicken tenders and peanut sauce, which I did, or chicken tenders and fish sauce with chili and basil, mm. or organic tofu and peanut sauce, mm-hmm. or organic tofu and sweet soy sambal glaze, or organic tofu and chili sambal glaze. Wow. Wow. And let me Jeff, it was fucking amazing. I bet. I bet. Um... Sounds like a lot. Like... Even just that description sounds like it is going to be more food than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And it all goes together to make something that actually has a flavor as opposed to 72 flavors on the plate. <laughs> which is which is kind of the what I love about that restaurant in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like that description makes it sound like you basically have, you know, a million ingredients. Mm-hmm. And it somehow works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it it does work. I'm, uh, I mean, it sounds like it works. And yeah, see, that's oh, no, where that, I'm looking. That, next time you're in town, we're mm-hmm. like, we're going to Malco or we're getting tickets. I, I was just thinking about how much I'm I'm I miss Portland and I miss Portland's food, and they're two separate, equal scenes. <gasps> Which reminds me, yes, Ooh. you remember the pizza place on Division that then stopped being a pizza place. The bakery, right? Yes. They're selling pizza again. <gasps> what? Oh yeah, my god! It, yeah, it, there's there's a whole story behind it, but the short version is they're selling pizza again. Oh my god, that's a that's a relief because I was so sad when you said they stopped selling pizza. That broke my heart because their pizza was uh, good. For, for for people who genuinely I mean unsurprisingly have never been listening to Jeff and my conversations when we're not recording a podcast <laughs> uh, there used to be uh, god I can't remember the name of it there used to be a bakery uh, that Jeff and I both really liked that did just an amazing pizza mm-hmm. I mean a, a genuinely great pizza and they would give it basically in a slab a big square slab oh, god, and they yeah. do scissors with it to cut it up and it was mm-hmm. just fucking amazing and then literally one week without notice they went, we're changing our menus, and we're going gluten-free. <laughs> Which, for a bakery, is pretty bold. Yeah, definitely. And the rumor at the time was, it's because the owner split up with his girlfriend mm-hmm. and basically had a midnight crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm changing everything. <laughs> and so I'm, my, my bakery is going gluten-free. And actually stopped being a bakery very, very quickly yes, after that. Yes, that's right. Um but I remember having to tell you that the pizza didn't exist anymore. Yeah. And you, and so I should say, I found this out by going in because they didn't announce it. That's right. I found this out by going in and asking for the pizza. And they were like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, even like, why not? They, they were like apologetic. And they're like, I'm really sorry. We've gone gluten free. <laughs> like, the staff and I do shit. remember you telling me because you were like, what the fuck? Like you were in there to get lunch. And it was like, yeah, what yeah. do you mean? Yes. Um, but no, they're selling pizza again. So I guess we could do a, a podcast about foods. See, this is what I'm saying. Between your foodie plus, I, I am in exile here. I love where I'm living on the coast, 
but the food is a huge step down and it's kind of hilarious. I mean, ultimately I think that it's good because honestly we're just strapped for cash, but I think it would be a lot of, you know, um, me telling you stories about like, I don't know, making, making cheesecake in, in our rice cooker, for example, which was turned out. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm to- totally on board that. Yeah. 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 So no, exactly. we can share recipes. Jeff, fuck this comic shit. It's always <laughs> let's do Let's change, turn this into a food podcast. Go. The pivot. Well, I will start off with my review of the Paps Blue Ribbon hard coffee that I had this morning. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you. You you tweeted that. <laughs> and I wish I'd had a camera for Chloe reading the tweet. <laughs> it was appalled. Yeah. And upset. Yeah. And all she said... Like, cause I didn't see what the tweet was. Right. I just look at her phone, and all of a sudden, she had this like pained look on her face, and she went, "Oh, Jeff, no." <laughs> I went, "What's wrong?" And she turned the phone around, like appalled at her face. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "You should, you should tell him." And she went, "No, because all I'd say would be, don't do it." <laughs> yeah. Well, see, so right. Well, anyway, I. Another episode. I'll talk some more about it. But it was delightful because I am a, an unironic fan of PBR. When I found out about this hard coffee, I'm like, holy shit, I've got to try it. And someone was like, spoilers, it's bad. And I got it. And but then, like, of course, so PBR and I love it. Well, I don't think of PBR as bad. So I'm like, maybe this will all work. I, all, I, all I know is. I feel that every time I'm out for dinner with you here in Portland, yeah. you basically ask, what is your best worst beer? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, and people people usually get it. But yes, anyway, so it was great because I tweeted just that image. And seriously, there was a significant number of people that were like, what the fuck? Like literally, like, are you okay? And what happened? Why are you doing this to yourself? Like, it was amazing. People were like, Jeff, don't do it. There's still so much to live for. So it was, it was, it was everything that you would want from a, here I am drinking this tweet. Um, yeah, it was good. It was, was, here I am drinking this. And you're like happy. Yeah. And just like, you know, Hey, <laughs> you know, every, everything's fine. I'm going to have fun. And everyone else is like, Nope. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You're just hurting. You're just hurting yourself, and in a way, you're hurting us. Um, I, I I just looked up the tweet, and I do love that David Walker just responded with "What the fuck, Jeff?" <laughs> it is great. It was great. No, honestly, everyone's reaction to it was made it all worthwhile. And I've still got two more of them left. So. Yeah, I just got to figure out a way to cut it so it's not quite so sweet. Because sadly, the description of it is a wino frappuccino is a little too on the money, unfortunately, uh, palate-wise. it's it, If it was less sweet, I'd be down with it. So I got to figure out something. Uh, people really made some good uh, suggestions from spiking with Jameson's to putting an espresso shot in it. And part of me is like, because these things aren't cheap... Um, I just don't think it's really worth the effort, but considering I bought a four pack and I've got some left, I'm going to have to do something. And I'm, I'm, Again, I'm looking forward to it. We could do a food podcast. Yeah. Oh my God. Who, who knew 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. We've got, okay. We're going to finish these questions and then fuck comics. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually what the podcast is going to be called. It's going to be called Fuck Comics. Yep. Exactly. Uh, and it would just be me being like Jeff. I went to the Waffle Window, and you being like, "Oh, fuck you." Yeah. See, Waffle Window always a great, always a great conversation, always a great place to go. Uh, I'm going to read this Paul Spence question, and you're going to answer it because I don't think I really can. Paul Spence says, "What 2000 AD characters and or titles would you recommend to a newbie?" I've been following along with the Judge Dredd case files, and this has got me interested in exploring more of the 2000 AD universe. They have numerous characters, such as Rogue Trooper, Slanya, uh, Nikolai Dante, etc. Can you make some suggestions about where a newbie should start? Yes, and I'm going to basically start by making some assumptions, and I apologize if I'm making the wrong assumptions. But if you're following along with the case files and it's got you interested, I would... suggest anticipate that you're interested in basically the good stuff mm-hmm. of what you've already read so from that same era i would uh very definitely recommend strontium dog which again is wagner and iscara mm-hmm. um it's uh similar it's no, it's not similar in tone to dread uh because dread actually has a very complicated tone it's much more straightforward mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's definitely similar in quality mm-hmm. and Arguably higher quality because it is Wagner and eventually Wagner and Grant and Ascara mm-hmm. all the way through for the majority of it, mm-hmm. uh, which is which helps. Like it, there's there's no multiple artists, there's no you know fill in bits or anything like that. It's just Wagner and Ascara, and it's very solid adventure strip. Uh, there is some politics in there. I would say more sublimated than Dread, uh, but it's it's incredibly solid. To start with strangely enough. Um, I think it's called Search and Destroy Files, Volume 1. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the case files for Sean Dog. It's, I think it's called Search and Destroy Files. Uh, Rogue Trooper, as well, I, I throw in there. The first volume in particular. Yeah, first volume, maybe the, first two volumes. Yeah, yeah. so uh, first volume is the one that's got Dave Gibbons' art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, the one where the, the, the high concept is purest. Yeah. Because it's essentially just like uh, an old-school warship painted blue yeah you know like it's not really doing anything groundbreaking but what it does it does very well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the high concept of essentially it is a soldier searching for the man who betrayed his brothers mm-hmm. it is is great mm-hmm. you know and added some space nazis and it's it just becomes a very good pulp strip mm-hmm. um not my bag but I think other people enjoy it enough. Other people who I respect enjoy it enough that I feel I should mention it is a Nemesis the Warlock. Ah, I was just going to mention it. Yep. Um, uh, Pat Mills. It's I mean, it really is kind of Pat Mills' magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I. I, I it's funny because I don't follow Do Slania, of course. But well, no, ABC yeah. Warriors too as well. ABC Warriors is big. I mean, he's got a couple of. Biggins in there, and depending on who you talk to, but Nemesis the Warlock I think is great because it's uh, you know you can give it a try. There's a limited number of volumes. If the first one doesn't really float your boat, you know whether or not to dive off. Um, I was going to say like there because there's three case files or yeah. three case files size volumes. That's right. And if you're not in by then the first one for Nemesis, you're not going to get in exactly because honestly it just it just gets more obscure from that point on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the high concept of basically it's more or less Flash Gordon, but Flash Gordon is an anarchist magic wielding 
uh, horse, basically. And Ming the Merciless is uh, an English uh, Catholic school teacher gone ultra monstrous. It's pretty... It's pretty, it's pretty great. Kevin O'Neill, of course, does the first volume, two volumes, then they switch to Brian Talbot, who does amazing work in a completely different vein. Um, yeah, and, and you know, by the end of it, you've got Simon Hinkleton on there as well. Right, yeah, so, I and, mean... Oh, John, sorry, uh, and his stuff on there is fucking great. Steve yeah. Pugh does stuff as well, I think. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's actually a good call. It's very funny how much I was like, I'm not schooled enough, but I totally knew that it was that you were going to give a shout out to, um, the one that, the one whose name I just forgot. Cause for whatever reason, what's that? Strontium dog. Yeah. Strontium dog. For whatever reason, strontium dog, uh, Robo Hunter has the better title. Uh, it's not Robo Hunter. Robo Hunter is is fine. I like. I enjoy Robo Hunter a lot. There's a lot of 2080 that I I like, especially a little Wagner and Grant. I love. But I, for someone who basically is red dread and like, I want more of this. I think you have to go with like the really big ones. Yeah. That being you know, said, like, I, I do want to cut you off because you start buzzing more or less when you just start talking about it. I didn't want you to get too far down the road. You know, it would be great, he says, if we'd also maybe did a podcast like where we watched like Lifetime original movies and then talked about them afterwards. No, no, no. (laughs) See, I've always got a certain element of like, yeah, but, you know, let's what's what's it like out there on the fringes, which, of course, you can't get more mainstream than Lifetime Lifetime original movies. But at the same time, um. Graham's like veto back to yes. food hard no <laughs> um so yes uh on to the next question yes mikey geezes or jesus yeah geezes? 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 after all the trick grace and stuff will dc ever get back to nightwing being any good open brackets really has nightwing been great to begin with i know that's a controversial opinion but close brackets why do they as a company struggle with an adult legacy character that is emotionally stable I have opinions, but Jeff, give me your opinions first. Uh, my opinions are: I hope that Nightwing can get back to being good. Uh, I don't know because it's fascinating. It, it felt like for a long time, uh, Dick Grayson really had a, a bullseye on his back that seemed to be um, as a result of Dan DiDio. But certainly, I, I think in a lot of ways, the Batman Office didn't really know what to do with Nightwing. And it's a shame because Nightwing is such a, he's a character that evolves out of Batman, the Batman mythos. But what's great about him is, is the idea that he grows up in a dysfunction. Yeah. And, and that is awesome. The, the him as a, as an object of, of gays of whether that's the female gaze or the gay male or gays you know um seeing him seeing him sort of semi objectified and played as being openly sexy and sexual in something like grayson or devin grayson's run on nightwing 
Um, and there was also just some really good stuff Chuck Dixon did. So I personally think that the characters had some good uh, material in there before and can again. But maybe DC will get beyond the problem of the adult of the adult legacy character that is emotionally stable. The problem is, uh, will they? And if so, how? Because people <laughs> have to know how to do it. We spent a lot of time talking about Superman. And I think... Well, the... that's what I was going to say. It's not a... Le- like, this isn't an adult legacy character problem. Mm-hmm. This is... Companies, Marvel and DC specifically, have problems with lead characters being emotionally stable. That's right. And, and it's, honestly, especially in the Batman books. Yep. Yeah, you know this, this isn't an adult legacy pro- character problem. Right, this is not Dick Grayson being targeted specifically. Although I think you can make an argument that Dick Grayson has been, if not targeted specifically, but like people don't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. like you said. You know, I've enjoyed a bunch of uh, Nightwing stories, but I've never really I've liked the character more than liked the stories. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I like the idea of Nightwing a lot more than I've liked Nightwing comics. Right. Right, which makes sense. And again, I think that's that is uh, points to some of the the difficulties of what to do with the character. But uh, you know, a death metal, you know, aside or perhaps you know, oh, as a central got to it. memory back now in the, in the Nightwing book. Right. Although, can I just say very quickly, mm-hmm. as someone who was reading the Ben Percy book up until uh, Nightwing gets shot, mm-hmm. um. Ben Percy literally built in a get out clause mm-hmm. uh, for this months before it happened. Mm. And I'm convinced he was going to use it. And then everyone fucking forgot he built it in. Oh, no, really? Yeah. The storyline before Nightwing gets shot mm-hmm. is Nightwing goes up against basically like some art. I can't remember if it was like an artificial intelligence or a villain using AI, but basically someone makes a complete copy of Nightwing's. <laughs> wow. And then they forget that. That's, that's uh... never again, but like Shit. literally it's there all along mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it killed me mm. because literally Percy had built it in as mm-hmm. a get out jail free card. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, but maybe someone was like, mm, nah, I feel we've seen that before. Let's... I mean, first point out, Percy was fired off the book. Mm. And maybe that's why he was fired off the book. Yeah, great. Jeez, what a bummer. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I, we'll see where things go. But the fact of the matter is um, people are really in, like, fucked up characters. Batman is is a character that sells so much more than the rest of DC's titles generally, and a good, I mean, good chunk of Marvel. Three, yeah. three Jokers number one apparently selling three hundred thousand copies. At yeah, at like eight ninety nine a copy or yeah. something like that's Which is fucking insane. Insane is is there an incentive cover thing that I but don't know about? There's so many incentive. Covers. Oh okay, All like right. yeah. I'm not joking. There's like maybe eight covers per issue. I should have figured it out because at first I had that thing of like, oh, holy shit, that's great. Wow. And I should have realized it was no, no, there's, there's a inflated. lot. Like there's a lot. There's so many center covers that when they were announcing them, I was like, they really need this book to be a hit. Mm. Mm. Like the, yeah, the flop sweat coming off the, the promotion that book was getting. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, it's a big, it's a big hit. This is funny because we're talking about this degradation stuff and the very next question from Richard Hafeid is which major character or characters are repeatedly botched by creators. 
wait, isn't that what we're talking about now? Yes. Um, or put another way, he says, which characters are the great missed opportunities in comics? Jeff, I'm super curious where you fall on this. Gosh, I feel like there's a ton of them. The the it's funny because of course since it comes right after Nightwing, I tell you a character that I don't I feel is a great missed opportunity, but I have to admit there was part of the missing was the fact that Scott Lobdell did fifty issues with the character. I think <laughs> I think that Rod Red Hood, Jason Todd, yeah. the Red Hood, is uh, a potentially great sort of the same way that you have Nightwing being the the good son and the well-adjusted kid like red hood has a lot of ways that you can do not grim and gritty dysfunction you know no, but, like, but like a fuck up yeah exactly and like, as we said why is there not a nightwing red hood book yeah right you know because it's true it's true they would be and and in fact i think you and i had talked about some of the to me, my favorite issues in Tom King's Batman run is when he brings in all the Robins, yes. you know, and they're all sitting at a diner gabbing together. You know, that sort of stuff was was great. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of my big go to is Red Hood. I think Nightwing's always been kind of fucked up. Um I, I mean, I just do, can't do think too much about it. Yeah. The weirdest answer I have for this. Mm hmm. When I first read this question, my immediate go-to was Wolverine. Mm. Interesting. Really? Because I, I really like Claremont's Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone else writes him the same way. Mm. That's interesting. And in part because Claremont's Wolverine was very aware of how fucking ridiculous he was. Uh-huh. Without lapsing into self-parody. Right. And I, I kind of like... I missed that. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. Also, my other immediate answer, and I don't know why, was Firestorm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Fuck knows why. Mm-hmm. Fuck knows why. There's actually <laughs> not that much to Firestorm. Right. And yet. Right. Yeah, no, but I think Firestorm, it makes sense to me because it's the, you know, you've got two, two people in the same head and yeah. you've got like, You've got a pretty good power set. Yeah. And honestly, I really like the, the original Jerry Comey's original high concept of what a Flash uh, Thompson right. was was the star. Yeah. Right. Like, I think there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's not something that ever really, really played out well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Despite Conway staying on the book for years. Right. Like, I don't think he really did enough with the concept. But I think I think there's so much potential in Firestorm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's the I believe it. There's of course a bunch of Marvel seventies characters. I think most of the Marvel seventies supernatural characters, like I, God, what was it that I read where I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I'm like, oh no, wait, it's not great. Like exactly. there wasn't. It's... Yeah, exactly. And I, I'll should... have to come back to it. Yeah, Boana Beast. <laughs> Boana Beast. That's not a joke. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I, I think I think there is like genuinely a lot of potential in Boana Beast. Mm. Not in the name Boana Beast, but and specifically in um the character as Morrison like nineteen eighties rebooted him mm-hmm. as Freedom Beast. Freedom Beast, yeah. But um but the power set. Mm-hmm. I think there's I really think there's like an incredible body horror book Ooh. in in Boana Beast slash Freedom Beast's power set. 
that's great. Uh, Angel and the Ape is is a characters I've always loved that I've always wanted to see like a major series on, but I don't know if they've ever been. But it's never just like the you know again. I'm like I'm like Skull the Slayer, man, Skull the Slayer, and Son of Satan, and a whole bunch of other characters. Yeah, that I could really yeah like yeah yeah. But again, is that watched by creators as much as like not? not given their due well i mean right like for example angel and ape i think you can't make an argument because like there's been a number of angel and ape series right but you can't really say that skull the slayers honestly appeared in enough comics to, to say that. well to me he's a great yeah. missed son, opportunity son yeah actually, son of satan yeah sure yeah like son of satan you could definitely make an argument yeah yeah son of satan son of satan son of satan and actually satana like the weird it was really weird remember i assume it's no longer happening now but like Jeff Loeb was developing like the Hellstroms or whatever. That's, no, that's that's that's. Is that still on. moving they, forward? They released a trailer. Oh shit! Really? Okay. Yeah, Jeff, it looks terrible. Oh, I'm sure it's awful. I'm sure it's fucking god awful. But I remember yeah, yeah, no, being it, like, it's yeah. made like mm-hmm. released a trailer and everything. Wow, I have to go look that up. I have to go look that up. But uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, Patrick, Gaffin, Jeff, go. If this was the last episode, what would be your highlight of the show besides 300 week, uh, weeks of talking to your best friend? Ah, that's uh, yeah, Bobby, really. Yeah, that, no, exactly let's, that. Let's be, mm-hmm. Like, brutally honest. Yep. Uh, you're singing. <laughs> I always, like, it always fucking kills me. It always fucking kills me. The, the uh, time that I rapped or did whatever and you just couldn't breathe. I don't remember yes. what it was. That yeah, I was... mean, really. Actually, honestly, the highlight really might be either Drock or Baxter Building. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, like, Drock is obviously still ongoing. Yeah. But, like, I think Drock is really good. I, like, you know, I am... Um, I, I I I was going to say humble, but humble isn't the right word. I'm filled with self-loathing and <laughs> unable to appropriately say like I did a good job. But right. I, I do think we do something good with Drock. I think so as well. I think so. Yeah. I think so as well. I also think that um, Baxter Building. I'm very proud of it. I'm really glad that we read all of it. But I also think that the for me our strongest sets of episodes. Are during the Lee Kirby stuff because it's when the material's yes, yeah. the strongest too. Yes, yes. So I think that gives us uh, a maybe lot that's to talk maybe about. that's why I like drugs so much because we're like we're just coming to the shit stuff now. That's right. Yeah, like yeah. yeah after doing it for more than a year, which is just fabulous. Also, um, remind me, remind me uh, before we stop talking that I want to see if we can push next week's episode to two weeks. But I'll get back to that later. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> talking about drug, but yeah. Yes. Ed then asks, how do you store your physical comics? Bagged, boarded, and in long boxes. Loose issues piled up in corners, different from floppies versus trade formats. Uh, yes, that's <laughs> all of them. That's not true. I know I do. I do have some bags by mistake. Do you? Um, but for the most part, they're either in the IKEA file folder boxes, like the boxes, the the cardboard boxes that you get in IKEA for papers, oh. or they're in a pile. Mm. Mm-hmm. And trades are are all in bookcase. Mm-hmm. Jeff, you. Um, well, I have way more trades. Of course, I got rid of the huge majority of my physical comics. So my single issues are more or less, there's like a black comic 
storage box uh, that Hibbs was selling at Comics Experience, maybe still does. I've got about four or five of those, and those are jammed with literally the comics that I have purchased since um, uh, since selling my collection, which is to say it's, it's a lot of Tom King, Batman comics, and Walking Dead, basically. Everything else is in digital. The trades are tend to be on the shelves um, because we just moved. There's a lot of them. They're still in bins in the garage. So, uh, Also, if that question had been asked like two years ago, your answer would have been, I store them in a storage unit. Yeah, that's right. Well, you're right. Several years back, storage unit, and then they spent a year where it was 28 long boxes of comics jammed in our storage room, making my wife very unhappy. This will lead, we can keep moving on because someone has a question about that later and we can come back to it, I think. So, Okay. Uh, Chris Tanferen mm-hmm. says, in honor of the auspicious anniversary, what is your favorite 300th issue of an ongoing series? We kind of did this last time, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but interestingly enough, he says, in the same vein, which ones leave the worst taste in your mouth? Amazing Spider-Man 300, which is one of your best. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, best. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is true. The best. Um, it's yeah, not I, the I, 300th, I, but Avengers 200 is such a shit comic. Oh, it actually, actually, Avengers 300 is kind of terrible as well. Oh, right. Did we make it? We must have read 300, right? Uh, I think that was where we ended. Did we end before it or on it? No, I think, I think we ended on it. Hmm. It's Simonson, and it's the one where the the new team forms, and it's Mister Fantastic, and Thor, and Invisible Woman, and the Forgotten One, oh, and yeah. Captain America, maybe, and that's it. I think right, maybe right. Cersei's in there. I can't remember. Yeah, maybe Cersei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's not good. No. Yeah, no kidding. Um, uh, when when you guys first started this way back, started this way back when in an earlier, arguably more innocent time. What were your expectations for the podcast? And what do you imagine episode 600 coming to us in the heady days of the 30s will be like? Beams directly into your fucking skull. <laughs> uh, I don't think I had expectations for this podcast. My expectations were getting to talk to you. Yeah. I, I Okay. I For me, it was threefold. Uh, first and foremost, as I recall, we both felt pretty bad that we weren't contributing written material to Savage Crook website. And we thought that this would be a great way for us to both contribute something that would be substantive and wouldn't take up a lot of time. Um, two proof. It was more innocent. (laughs) Yes, indeed. More innocent, more naive. I was looking forward to talking to you. I had vague dreams that I would be able to ride your coattails to glory uh, doing this, I suppose. Oh, Jeff, I should have told you I didn't have any coattails. Well, no, Graham, you got – I mean, you know, it's – let's put it this way. I I'm, I have always managed to, to – to, I've always managed to step up when it comes to failing at riding someone's coattails. So um, honestly, I don't think it's you. I think that's me. Uh, as for what it will be like, yeah, in the heady days of the 30s, I'd be really fascinated. Like, part of me sort of does have that thing of, like, what would we do with this podcast if the direct marketplace collapsed, you know? Would we... Oh, we'd, be, we'd keep going, Jeff. Let's I think... I, well, I think so, too. I, I mean, I think so, too. I'd just be curious about what we would talk about, or rather, again... It would be us, and I think we'd be talking about comics. And I'm, I read so much manga and digital stuff anyway. Yeah, I, I think it'd be, yeah, yeah. I, I think it'd be fine. 
Yeah, I think so too. I, I can also uh, see us pivoting to since, you know, you've got an, an eight year old nearby and in theory, my nieces are still in touch with me. I think it would also be fun because, uh, there's so much YA stuff coming out now to try and keep an eye on it and, and talk about it in that context, quote yeah. unquote, if we had to slash wanted to. So, uh, Chris's last one is for you, just for you, Jeff. It's been a couple of years since you let go of the majority of your physical comics. You just said that. That's is there right. anything you regret about the process? As this is someone who's been accumul- who has accumulated an overly healthy number of long boxes over the years, and I'm reaching the point in life where I wonder if I really need that many physical comics taking up space. Well, uh, right. So, Chris, for you, I think the answer is going to be like, do how do you really feel about physical versus digital because i know a lot of people for whom that makes an enormous like an enormous difference like you know i've got a friend who um you know has actually moved a little bit more towards actually i think hoopla helped them out but before then the idea of buying a digital comic just felt was way too ephemeral for him i think um so it's interesting that there's more library and streaming comic services that as far as I can tell, he stays away from. For myself, I'm hugely grateful that, the, that those comics are gone. It is it is a weird thing to say out loud. And in fact, I was going to say that, that uh, R300s, R Drock and Baxter buildings, R Engelhardt episodes, singing and making you laugh so hard you couldn't breathe... And also the episode where you and I talked about me selling my comics finally, I thought was kind of such a nice little, it was a moment that I had that I was so glad to have such the outlet, the venue to talk about Mm -hmm. it with. Mm -hmm. I was, I was Mm -hmm. really, and I also feel like that was kind of, I got some good feedback on it generally, but I think, I think I'm very proud of that particular episode. I'm so even though it feels in a way like, dying it was such a good like the the renewed good death yeah it was would this be a good death father that the the renewed me on the other side of it is literally lighter um is happier uh but of course i still have a ton of comics on digital i really have a ridiculous slew of them um but i'm also happier that way the other thing to keep in mind chris is that i was uh mess at keeping my comics uh organized and it was uh it was just a shit show for me um like we didn't sit down and organize those 28 boxes and i mean we because it literally was Edie and i doing it until we did it with the idea of getting them sold so it was only in the last year of 30 plus years of comic book owning that i actually had um had them organized i would have so many times where i would sit down with a big pile of comics and somehow miss you know have like that classic five issues are built up and somehow i would miss one somewhere that was like under a couch or something and so Mm -hmm. suddenly i would jump ahead an issue and still miss it i'm like i was so bad and reading digitally where it's like if i start reading i'm like i don't remember what happened last month i it's very easy for me to just turn around and and load the previous issue up and and read it so so for me it's been 
um, 97% a plus. Like, there's that weird 3% where I find myself either missing, needing to reference for research uh, a comic that I used to have but no longer have and is not available in digital format. That happens... That still happens a surprising amount. And every once in a while, I'm kind of bummed by that. But weirdly, it just actually gives me a lot more both appreciation for what I have and also kind of that weird like, well, if I wanted, I could go buy it. You know what I mean? So, So, yeah, reducing it down to zero was huge for me. Honestly, Chris, I I don't know. It really does depend on on. On how you feel if you can if you can either put comics down altogether or what you're finding is satisfying enough than digital, I would say make the jump because it is it really was a, a, a weight off my shoulders. Eric Real says, I usually follow comics creators more than characters, but that doesn't always work out. Have you ever gotten burned out on a creator who used to read all their work, but now are, are uninterested in their new projects? Also, are there cr- characters who no creator can get you to read? For example, it doesn't matter who writes Vampirella, I won't be reading it. I love that example, because that example is perfect. I've tried reading Vampirella <laughs> multiple times. I really have, because I'm like, oh. No, I know, I know. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of amazing creators who have done yeah. work in Vampirella, and I have literally no interest in it. Yeah. Um, out a Creator, I think Morrison falls under that for me. Yeah, I think so too. Morrison for me, in fact, because I'm, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to get to the point where his second season of Green Lantern starts showing up on DC Universe, so I can feel not because I'm just kind of curious as to how justified I feel in having dropped it. And that's... You're, you're, Jeff, you're fine. <laughs> um, and I say that as someone who thinks it's better than first season, right? but not significantly so. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame, but I can totally see it. Uh, Tom King, of course, uh, yeah. I think for me is yeah, definitely you, you, one. Yeah, you, yeah. Whereas I honestly think uh, both Strange Adventures and now that I can admit I've read it, Rorschach issue one and two are really strong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Rorschach in particular is not a book I would have expected from King. Right. I say that people can read it and be like, "What are you saying? It's totally a Tom King book." But I think in very specific ways, it's not. Mm. Uh, and those are interesting ways for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I also completely understand. Like by the time he got to the end of his Batman run, it was lapsing into self-parody. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, I felt like some of the. Uh... As you know, I like that final issue, but yeah, no, I, there was a lot of stuff I was really annoyed with, of course. Um, but it's also, it's, yeah, it's a variety of things. It's a, it's a variety of things with the king. Um, and then for the characters, I think Vampirella is such a good example. Again, I just keep blocking. Like, I'm sort of like... Interestingly, it's not a, a character, but no matter who is writing for heavy metal, I'm never going to read it. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I can sort of see that. Um, for me, I have to say I I kept trying to get into the Valiant universe, and I just kept kept not, trying, kept trying, kept trying. Yeah. It just didn't. It just did not end up working for me. So, uh, Martin Gray asks, which character from Marvel or DC has the most untapped potential? Kind of a... I think we answered that, yeah. honestly, with Richard Halfhead's question. Yeah. Also, what's funny is we asked this again later on. 
Oh, really? Oh, this yeah, is Matt great. Yeah, says later on, in your opinion, who or what is the most criminally underrated character creator property? Yeah. And I feel that it's basically three different versions of the same question, which is interesting. Although, most uh, underrated car- uh, creator is 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 a different one. But for now, Martin, let's say that I think we've uh, we yeah. kind of tackled that. We're going to tackle it in a way that's not necessarily going to please you, despite the fact there's tons of them at both properties. Yes. Oh, God, yes, yeah. very much. Yeah. Uh, Badger Mushroom, who, even though I didn't cut and paste this into this document, Jeff, I want you to know, in case you don't remember, actually signed his email to us, Badger Mushroom, open brackets, not my real name, close brackets, <laughs> which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> And I love that very much. Badger Mushroom asks, can I have two questions, please, sirs? Yes, but only because you're addressing us separately. One, for me, how has the slow motion apocalypse affected the world of comics, news, and reporting? Are there any long-term effects, do you think? Mm. Um, How has it affected the world of comics, news, and reporting? I think it's much better now um, because things are coming out again. In the period where there was nothing coming out... Not so much THR, because THR has other focuses, mm-hmm. but I think you could see uh, other sites, the ones that are specifically comics news-based, kind of struggling to, to come up with something to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you saw Rich at Bleeding Cool sort of spiral off into his own little like uh, rumor-slash-paranoia world, mm-hmm. more so than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was... I think people all of a sudden were aware that, like... They're essentially writing a version of a 24-hour news channel and there's no news. Yes. Uh, and what do you do in that situation? Right. And I think the answer for a lot of people was we had we didn't quite work out an answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the, the, that kind of went both ways as well. Like, what do creators talk about when nothing's coming out? Mm-hmm. You know, what do creators do? I mean, look at James Tynion. Mm-hmm. He His response is, I'm making a horror anthology and I'm just going to drop it uh, online without giving any any notice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or 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 other creators. Oh, I'm doing the thing that everyone wanted me to do. Uh, other creators who have come up with projects that are unlike what they're the what people would expect from them mm-hmm. that haven't been announced yet. Hmm. Um, you know, the, um, I think creators have had the same feeling of like, well, what do we do now? Like the, the the you know the world we know it has been disrupted. Mm-hmm. And what is this disruption? And I don't think anyone actually came up with a good answer before things, quote unquote, go back to normal. And things still aren't back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvel's uh, slate is still really reduced, although that's getting less and less the, the case with Oof. each month. Mm-hmm. Um, DC is like clearly just undergone fucking carnage. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but. There was a period there where basically nothing was happening. There were six weeks where nothing was happening. And things were happening behind the scenes, but nobody really knew about them. And so you had this thing where, for all intents and purposes, all the signals were silent. And no one quite worked out what you actually do with the space in that case. Yeah. Uh, Are there any long-term effects? Yes. But I don't think it's anything that, again, is going to be visible. Mm -hmm. I think the long-term effect is that it made people aware of how reliant on a particular structure a lot of these sites and a lot of this reporting is mm-hmm. um i also think in terms of long-term effects that are entirely unrelated to this i think it also made a lot of people reconsider the business models mm. and reconsider the status quo mm-hmm. and so i think i don't think you can look at like um 
stuff like Cameron Stewart, Warren Ellis, uh, uh, CBLDF. I'll, I I don't think you can divorce that from mm. from COVID. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can divorce things like Tanyan launching Razorback from COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can divorce uh, a lot of conversations that where people are essentially like, I can do this myself, or why is this the way it is, mm-hmm. from watching the way it is fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the long-term effects are things that we are not seeing now, but we're going to see in the next two or three years. And it's all going to come from people who saw the accept status quo fail mm-hmm. and start asking themselves, well, why was it the status quo in the first place? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, so that's that's not necessarily comics news and reporting, although that's part of it. But I think all of comics, that's true. Mm-hmm. Just uh, question number two for Jeff. You have offhandedly mentioned your time in the comics world, but would you mind telling us what your actual comics career has been? Are there Jeff Lester written, drawn, edited comics we should be reading? Ah, well, this is such a sweet question. Um, I'm more than happy to talk about it. I'll keep it very quick, in part because there is not much. Um, if you have access to the the... Basically, the gist of it is... I sold a very few number of stories uh, and at a certain point just got kind of fed up. That was also at the point where I had been moving sort of forward with other freelance writing that in a way is uh, comics related. So for myself, one of the first you know, professional sales that I ended up doing was I ended up doing dialogue for the Sam and Max games for uh, Telltale Games for the first in the first season. And I wrote part of an episode for quote unquote season two. Um, And I'm actually kind of proud of some of that work. It was super exciting for me in a way. It's almost like a comic um, dream job for me because I was I was genuinely a huge fan of the Sam and Max comics. And I was super happy to be, get a chance to, to write those characters and, and also kind of got the, the strokes of having people say like, Oh my God, you really, you really got those characters. You were, that was so good. We were really excited at, at, at how well you nailed that. That was fabulous for me. Um, I sold one script to Mark Wade that ended up in Cthulhu Tales. It's actually Cthulhu Tales Omnibus Madness is the huge 218 page collection in which I get in which this was folded up. I should actually say that it was both Mark Wade and Ian Brill because um I think I sold the story to to Wade and then Ian or he gave the okay and then Ian was the one who helped um, put it all together and in fact what's it always gives me a grin that because he made a point to give my story a shout out on the the solicitation copy that's st- you know my story still gets a semi mention in the solicitation copy that still exists so if you have comiXology unlimited or if you have access to the library um it's an eight page story no it's a 10 page story illustrated by chi uh, that was my tribute to, among other things, Matt Howarth comics uh, about Cthulhu being in a rock band and was just a big lark. Went on to sell another story for Wade almost, and then he immediately left um, 
uh, uh, boom as an editor in chief and, and that project, I just got, I got paid and never, it never saw print. Um, and then, uh, I tr almost sold the story to creepy and that's where I met and got to know Shauna Gore, who was really just a terrific person to work with. Um, but, uh, the license, it was technically a licensed comic since these guys had bought the Warren licenses. And so even though she okayed my story and thought the script was good, the licensors were kind of like, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really see what you're doing here. Can you do something, something? And I asked a question and then they ghosted me for like three months. And I was like, you know what? This is, this is just it. So all of which is to say, I'm I'm happy to report that there is almost nothing. <laughs> there is like ten pages, and yet I've got any number of stories uh, to tell about the industry. Um, I'm proud of those those ten pages. Um, Cthulhu Tales Omnibus Madness. Um, enough to point it out to again. If you have Comicsology Unlimited. Look it up. There's also some great stuff in there by people like Roger Langridge did an amazing, amazing uh, story. And of course, it ended up in my fucking issue. So it was like, ugh. you know, because you can't compete with Roger Langridge. You just lose, you know. So first, first of all, you can because I actually really like your story. But yes, people search for like Thule Tales thing. Search for package bins as well, actually. Yeah, that's right. It used to be very easy to find it. It's one of those weird. Uh, there were so many weird things that happened. Like uh, the stories are. If you find the individual issue, it's great because they screwed up. Like something fell out of sync with the credits. So like the credits are off on the cover that I'm on, and plus, like they list the stories wrong because originally I was supposed to be the lead story, but because they decided to do the story in black and white instead of color, they bumped it to the second slot so that it wouldn't, because nobody was going to pay that much money for a black and white book, but then they forgot to flip the table of contents. So, I mean, it was just, it really was that classic, like, ta-da, you know, where everything is. Just... Welcome to comics. Everything's wrong. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's basically the, the answer. Thank you so much for asking. Um, I've heard some nice things about the story, and it's also hilarious how many people I've mentioned I write that story to who are like big Cthulhu fans who are like, oh. And then that's it. It was just like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, you're done. I don't. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. I wish I had the thick skin. The if I had the thick skin, it would be something else. But I never really was quite able to grow that. Isabel M says, "I like Watchmen." Doesn't everybody? I like. No. Yeah, that's Charlie Graham. <laughs> this is the the I Graham trap. To do that since I read that question. <laughs> it's totally true. Um. Although you made noises like you actually appreciated it the last time you read I, it. Right? I appreciate it. I just don't like it. Mm. I like the formalism and ambitious intellectualism. Can you recommend anything else that will satisfy the itch? I don't actually care about superheroes very much. Bonus points for creators of color or women. I'm really curious what you have to suggest because my three suggestions kind of seem a bit weird. Uh, I'm looking forward to them. I'm willing to bet that uh, we're going to have... At least one uh, overlap, but let's see. Eddie Campbell's Alec. 
Mm. Nice. Uh, specifically, the Year of Pants collection. Mm. Um, Eleanor Davis's The Heart Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And Dave McKean's Cages. Huh? Dave McKean's Cages. Great. Um, those are those are all primo picks. Not the ones that I would have picked for a piece of uh, exciting intellectualism. Um, but uh, ambitious intellectualism. Anyway, yes. what are yours? Um, my picks are, uh, hold on, let me make sure I get this guy's name right. Um, I, I, my picks would be, uh, Art Spiegelman's Breakdowns, uh, if you can find it, it's really hard, but his early comics, he was super ultra formalist trying to figure yeah, out was. how to break things through related slash descended from that Asterios Polyp. By uh, David Mazzuccelli. Oh, shit, yes. Yeah. Also, I'm, so, I'm suddenly like, why didn't I fucking mention Chris Ware, who I think would would very much appeal to this person? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, um, I would give a, give a shot, shot at trying uh, Jimmy Corrigan, World's Smartest Boy, or Building Stories, probably. <laughs> Building uh, Stories, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to suggest uh, Richard McGuire's Here, uh, which is a fabulous piece of formalistic uh storytelling that is um showing one place and this using comics to show the sequential overlap being layers of time um i think that's fabulous uh when it comes it if you're not super schooled in Comics, it may pass you by, but I'm always going to stand for Boom Boom Number 2 by David Lasky. Uh, good luck finding it. It is his retelling of James Joyce's writing of Ulysses, whereby each page that Lasky uses is a direct lift from the origin of Marvel Comics so that's amazing it's still to my to my mind just one of the best um mapping of ideas of understanding what joyce was doing with ulysses and then um and figuring out a way to mirror it uh within the, that issue of boom boom so really great helps if you have access to a copy of the origin of marvel comics nearby or or like me you know those comics by heart but i think that that's I, I think I think that will at least get you started. Um, I I also realized I didn't say Kevin. Pardon me, I didn't say Kevin Hazenga's River at Night. Oh which yes, I really should have. You're right. Absolutely, Hazenga is also incredibly great in terms of the formalism and and that uh, ambitious intellectualism. intellectualism. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Hazenga is, is actually, if I had to pare mine down to to one, I actually think I would go with Hazenga. Yeah, Hazenga is a great choice. First of all, like the River and I, I think is is might be exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great great comparison. Uh, Jonathan Stuxit says, I sent a question already about Rebellion's Treasury British Comics imprint. Which titles might attract a wider audience than nostalgic Brits of a certain age? Uh, do you want me to take this one, Jeff? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I guess you have to. Um, I th- well, I think a bunch of them, to be perfectly honest. I, th- I do think there's, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, titles in particular, I would mention. Uh, Wagner, Grant, and Ortiz's The 13th Floor, I think is great. It is essentially an update of uh, sort of the old EC Comics, or uh, for that matter, um, Fleischman's 
Fleischmann's? Wrath of Spectre. Fleischer's. Yeah. Wrath of Spectre. Um, but with a really interesting class warfare element, British mm-hmm. class warfare element uh, brought in. It's a, a really great, oddly political comic mm. that that I I think honestly would appeal to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, old British comics fans or not. Um, a lot of these stuff from the girls' comics line, mm. I think, mm-hmm. had, had a chance of appealing to a lot of people. In particular, there is um, there's a collection called Jinty, the Land of No Tears and the Human Zoo. Oh, yeah, I want to uh, read that. Both of which are nuts. Fran of the Floods as well, which is also from Jinty. Right. Fran of the Floods is genuinely bonkers. Mm-hmm. And, and bonkers in such a way that, sure, it's dated, but like the basic concept of that series is nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is what if there was a climate disaster that flooded the United Kingdom and a high school girl loses her family and has to try and survive even though everyone basically wants to take advantage of her. It sounds great. I got to tell you, I remember reading the description and being like, ooh, I want to read that. I mean, it's abs- it's it's sort of mind-bending that it ran. Mm-hmm. Like when it did, like in the seventies, because it's it's crazy. Um, Third World War by by Mills and Ascara mm-hmm. is has has reads datedly. Don't get me wrong; I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that feels weirdly contemporary because it is basically a polemic against the military industrial complex, mm. uh, with with the entire lack of subtlety that only Pat Mills can bring. Yeah, baby, I want all of the action comics. I want, I just want action. Every it's issue of action, action re-put on its titles. What's that? Hmm? that? That's it's not action. It's from Crisis. Oh it's, yeah, it's, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Crisis. I knew that, but I'm like, yeah, Pat Mills being unsubtle. Action. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100% right that, yeah. that's the shit that you want mm-hmm. um, yeah so there's 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 actually a bunch I would say just going honestly just going to 2080's website and looking at the back catalogue don't get me wrong a lot of the stuff is dated but almost all of the stuff has appeal beyond nostalgia mm-hmm. um, you know for people who are looking for nostalgia or comics history in a, of another band they've got like Hugo Pratt stuff from mm-hmm. the 50s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that's you know that's historically important for comics as a medium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think I think there's a lot of, of uh, treasure British comics stuff there that exists for more than just nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, but those are, those are those specific layered titles I'd, I'd I'd pitch. And for people who listen to this podcast, those are the titles: Thirteenth uh, Floor, Third World War, uh, you know, Front of the Floods, mm-hmm. uh, or The Land of No Tears. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that those books would really, really appeal to to people who listen to this. To be honest, yeah, yeah, I definitely would love to read them all. Certainly. So, Paul J. Slee asks if you could commission a comic biography of a pop culture figure by a creator of your choice, who would you pick and why? Such a good, good choice. Uh, it's a good question. I, I had a weird response to this, and I can't say why because I can't say why. If that makes sense. Sure. Uh, Daniel Warren Johnson doing Elliot Smith. Ooh, that's nice. That's nice. But I don't know why. I just think for some reason Johnson would be able to draw something out of that story mm. and and Smith's music. Mm-hmm. That would be really surprising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. Jeff, you. Um, yes. Well, I already mentioned the Boom Boom number two, which absolutely kind of is uh, everything the doctor ordered in a way. But my first response, gut instinct when I read this was I would really love to see Dennis Cohen do a biography of Prince. Um, yeah, especially since he did the Prince comics way back when. Right, exactly. I'd love to see them brought back into print. Who the yeah. fuck owns the copyrights of those these days? I know, right? It is a it is a question. Um, uh, Miguel Corti, good old Miguel Corti, fan of the podcast, friend of the podcast, says, how would you compare and contrast your read-throughs of the Fantastic Four and Judge Dredd, either in terms of entertainment, relative quality, or the relationship of that material with the comics industry as a whole? Oof. That's a question for Jeff specifically, given that you've come to dread as an adult uh, to you um, as an adult to you into the character in the way you will always, for example, be into Batman, regardless of if he is at a high or a low. Or do you feel that you can only appreciate the character dread when handled by certain creators, Wagner in particular? Uh, the second question came to mind after your discussion of feeling unfulfilled by superhero comics. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, there's, that's like seven questions in one. It really is, isn't it? You know, like, uh, I am enjoying reading Dreads more than I'm enjoying the Dreads of Fantastic Four, in large part because of what Jeff said earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dread is of a higher quality for longer. Yeah. You know, ask me again two episodes in, two episodes of Nets and Drog. Right. When we're really in the shit. Yeah. And I will not feel that way. Right. But... You know, the read-through of Fantastic Four for the Lee Kirby run mm-hmm. was just glorious. It yeah. was absolutely glorious. It was a joy. It was constant new discovery. New discovery not only when we're reading, but when we're discussing. Yeah. You know, it, it felt like I was able to learn more every time I interacted with the work. Yeah. But then, honestly, the quality drops off significantly and stays low for a long time. Yeah. And that makes it a, a fun curio but it's not the same thing right mm-hmm. whereas Drock really has had Wagner at the top of his game for you know 15 episodes right and you get that again the joy of discovery the joy of, of you know realizing that this shit's great and full of things that you hadn't realized and and consistently surprising mm-hmm. and consistently filled with meaning mm-hmm. um and so, you know, Drog feel, Dread feels better. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. again, ask me in two episodes and I, I won't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, the relationship to the material, I feel closer to the Dread stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I feel, felt by the end of Baxter Building, I had become, like, almost more of a fan of the Fantastic Four because I'd read the shit stuff. You know, it's I see that. I don't think that I necessarily feel the same with a huge asterisk, which is the stuff that I kind of liked um, between 150 and 200, I still liked more consistently than you did. And I still yeah. don't know if that's nostalgia or not. Uh, I was shocked by how quickly the burn stuff went downhill. Um, yeah. Of course, the angle, the Engelhart stuff I loved. I was dismayed that, of course, I made the case as to why the Simmons, Simonson stuff was somehow both great and disappointing at the same time. But I yeah. have to say the finale in which Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan lead us 
down the primrose path into hell, I have such a weird, strange fondness for parts of that run. Like, I'm just like, I'm just always like, uh, apparently Johnny Storm and Lijah, the, the super scroll or whatever her, what type of scroll she was. Was she on the power scroll? She what? No, the power scroll was her ex-boyfriend who was like a jerk who got the X-Men powers or whatever. Wasn't he? Wasn't that I the power know. scroll? Uh, Pi, anyway, he was, he was Piebalk the first. Pi, the yeah, first. yeah, exactly. So, Lyja. Lyja and Johnny Storm, my OTP. I, I really somehow ended up being into so much of that, especially with the just the ridiculous amounts of bullshit that, that they kept throwing at us. It wasn't... It wasn't good comics, and it didn't. It never had the payoff that I wanted. But I am stunned how much, like, in the depth of like, oh, these are crappy comics. It was kind of like, oh, there's stuff in here that I want, that I like, you know. And it kind of gets back to some of the stuff that I was saying with Dan Billings. Is I think I kind of really want more romance and relationship comics than I'm, uh, than than I'm getting even. You know, so uh, so that stuff, just seeing the on again, off again, on again, off again, even if it was done in the most maddening way, I was I was kind of into it Um, to answer the other part of the question. Super, super, super quickly. uh, You know, I did have a subscription to 2000 AD like, I don't know, eight, ten years ago when it first went digital. And I so all of the dread that I read, almost none of it was by Wagner, although some of it popped up and it. It had its charms. I was into it. Um, you know, I felt like there was a lot that I was missing, but um, I think I'm closer to being of a. I could be a true blue fan, but man, that Ennis stuff was so bad. I just really don't know. I mean, no one was on their game last volume except for Wagner, barely. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I. I God knows if I've got a passion for the stuff like you, like Graham said, like two or three episodes from now, I might, it might really be that it's taken that the material is so strong. Mm -hmm. Um, question two, messing with Jerusalem. I bought it digitally and I started reading it. We should, we should ask his question was either of you mess with Alan Ward's Jerusalem. Is it possible for humans to read that tiny font for a thousand pages without some sort of visual aid? I'm so sorry. I thought for some reason you did read it aloud. That's not going to help anyone if I don't read it. Thank you, Graham. Uh, I started reading it, uh, in digital. And at that point you can slide the font around all over the place. Interestingly enough, unlike Voice of the Fire, which was difficult, but and I ultimately threw in the towel maybe four chapters in, five chapters in, because I was just annoyed. Um, Jerusalem was a very easy read for the first 30 or 40 pages, like completely accessible, not difficult uh, and just boring just i was really i was really bored i put it down and i never picked it back up so um i i i should say i did not mess with alan Mercer jerusalem at all yeah but that's no surprise that that is that it would be more surprising the only yeah. way it could, would be more surprising was that if it turned out that you'd written alan, alan moore's <laughs> exactly. jerusalem if yeah. i was alan Moore. yeah exactly 
Uh, Carlos Aguilar asked me, Jeff, what is a comic series, manga, or two that Graham reads and enjoys that to you seems odd for him to enjoy? Uh, Graham, same question, but about Jeff. Also, any thoughts on Abe's new TCJ column? Um, I, I like that last one first. Yes, but I'm not sharing them. Right. Uh, and I will say yes, and I'm not I'm not sharing them. But interviews. Um, the comic series uh, or manga, it's so funny because I was like, wait, Graham doesn't – am I supposed to question him no, about Tokyo Tara Bar Girls? I initially read it as manga as well. Yeah. Now and that I, I was, read it, I'm like, that's oh. really weird because I was like, I don't read enough manga for it to be weird. Yeah, exactly. I was that's like, so strange that you and I both misread the same question. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which might make it really hard for us to answer. Graham, I list all sorts of weird stuff. Is there anything where you've been like, really? That seems kind of Honestly, odd. Honestly, no. And that's because you list such weird stuff. Mm, okay. Like at this point, you could be like, I'm reading manga that's about the history of accounting. Mm -hmm. uh, but everyone in it is a foot fetishist, and also they're all plants. And I'd be like, okay, sure, that sounds right. <laughs> I gotta say you too, know? I was like, I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm like, no, I would read that. Like you, like you, you, like your interests are such that you could honestly almost tell me you're reading anything, and yeah. I'd be like, huh, okay, sure, right. And 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 so it wouldn't seem odd for you to enjoy, right. Right. Um, again, it sort of gets back to there's it. It's kind of the flip. There mm -hmm. are things that I'm like that's completely in Jess Wheelhouse, mm -hmm. and you're like I don't get it, mm. and that's for me now. That's very funny. That's very funny. You know? Yeah, I have to say I'm not. I'm not really. I, I think after I think there is a 300 episodes of which have given us either a familiarity with one another, but also just kind of a strange unconditional acceptance like i i would yeah. be surprised if you were suddenly super into i don't know v for vendetta or something like that you know but but yeah, you're but really like, not I, I feel that you know? i feel that almost doesn't count because that's something we've talked about yeah right like i i read this question as like if you said i'm reading this new thing and it's about this right would i be surprised yeah right yeah and and no is, right. is the honest answer. Right. Like I said, I keep blocking on the manga stuff, but yeah, no. When you when you, I I feel like there's a lot of stuff that is definitely. I feel like if I were to describe a comic that was in your wheelhouse, I think I would have a pretty. Like you said, I'd be more surprised if you didn't like that in a way. Yeah, exactly. Than yeah. If you like something that I wasn't expecting. So yeah. I mean, the closest I can get is actually, like, weirdly about myself, mm -hmm. which is I remember when I was doing the Eisner's judging, mm -hmm. I, like, I found things like, honestly, yeah, Me and a Bike in a Road mm -hmm. uh, by Alan Davis felt very unlike something that I would fall that in love with. Mm. But, Interesting. But, like, you know, for you, it's like, sure, of course. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Interesting. All right, so disappointing. I just got to disappoint you, Carlos. Sorry, but uh, we, we, of course, A, have to keep moving, uh, and B, if we come up with a better answer, I'm sure we'll start a fight about it two or three episodes from now. Matt Diggs. Hey, Matt uh, asks, in your opinion, Hi, who, what is the most criminally underrated creator, character, or property? I will I choose one of I the last two. Yes, so let's, let's do the first one. 
Um, for me, Tom Taylor. I think Tom Taylor, especially after seeing Jim Lee talk about how, and admittedly it could because it was his baby and therefore he felt like it was you the best one to go forward. Justice was the model for what's going forward and not mention Tom Taylor once? Yes, not mention Tom Taylor once. And also just the idea that he was like, it outsold Batman and digital and then it sold and sold and sold and sold for us in print. I'm like, oh, so Tom Taylor's getting like a Grant Morrison's page rate and Tom King's page rate then, right? Because it sure doesn't look like it from the books yeah. that, you know. And You mean like Suicide Squad, which has just ended after 11 issues. That's right. That's right. But yeah. I mean, the fact that he turned around and more or less did that again with Deceased is I'm like, yeah, you guys, someone's got to put, you know, if not put a ring on that, like. Give him a, and I just get the sense that yeah, there. So I feel I, I I get the sense that he doesn't want to be exclusive. He doesn't want to be exclusive, but you know, I think I sort of feel like yeah, but then like, they should give, pay him a higher him, page rate. Yeah, yeah, but also give him the flagship property. Yeah, oh definitely. Get, honestly, give give Tom Taylor Superman. Yeah, because he fucking wants Superman. That's give right. Give Tom Taylor Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I I would agree that he's criminally underrated. Is he the most criminally underrated creator? I honestly don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think he's massively underrated in terms of Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, I think, uh, and I know that many people will disagree with me. I think Steve Orlando was massively underrated at DC. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he showed like a lot of versatility and a lot of interesting ideas that he just didn't, like nobody picked up on. I still think his Justice League of America book is filled with lots of really interesting shit. In part because it's also very much like a love letter to Morrison's Justice League. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. And it, it felt like that got slept on. Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, most criminally underrated creator, uh, you know, I think of things like Sloan Leong, her, her mm -hmm. Matt and Stars second mm -hmm. it's just fucking phenomenal. Right. Like the idea that like Image didn't want to continue Prism Stalker, is nuts. Yeah. Because Sloan's going to become massive. Yes. And Image should fucking kick themselves for giving that book away. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Ellen Davis, again, I think is criminally underrated. I think mm -hmm. that tomorrow was just... Uh, Kevin Hizenga, again, I think is criminally underrated. Yep. Um, Hannah Blumenreich, uh, who, Hannah I mean... Blumenreich, yeah. Yeah, is, is, honestly is massively mm -hmm. underrated. And again, she's going to go to first second and she's going to make a fucking fortune and Marvel will be like, oh, that's right. We completely shat in her for a while. That's right. Um, you know, the, uh, Rosemary Valerio O'Connell mm -hmm. is, is you know, for all, all that everyone talks about, Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me, mm -hmm. no one is saying enough things about what Rosemary brings to that book. Mm. Because if anyone else had drawn that book, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. Mm. Mariko's mm -hmm. script could have been exactly the same. And if anyone else had drawn that book, it wouldn't have been as good. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Completely, like, sideways related, I read the first few issues of Boom's Buffy the Vampire Slayer reboot last night. Uh-huh. Uh, honestly, because it was on Hoopla. And I was like, oh, why not? And that shit's good. Hmm. And it shouldn't, because it's fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> uh, but what Jordy Belair does to essentially remix the property, mm -hmm. every decision she makes is smart. Mm. Every single one. Every mm -hmm. change she makes is smart. Mm. And, and honestly for the better of the property. Mm. Every single one. And it makes me think, why has no one grabbed her to write a superhero book? Mm -hmm. Because give her the leeway that she has in Buffy mm -hmm. and give her a better page rate and see what she does. Right. 
because she's making really smart decisions there. Hmm. That's very interesting. I, I would love to check that out. I have a lot of respect for Jordi Belair and suspect that she that she'd be awesome. So yeah. Yeah, she she makes very small but really good changes in Buffy. Hmm. Good to know. Thomas Williams says Brubaker and Phillips going OGN only next year. Saga at the two year mark of its hiatus. Rucka taking monthly work from DC while his creator owned work is quarterly at best as his IP is being mined for TV and film. What is the future of image and creator-owned work? Does creator-owned work reach a plateau where it only makes sense to stop doing monthly comics and then take your work to other media? Image isn't independent or alternative comics, so has it just become where creator auditions IP for other media? No one goes to image to tell their heartfelt personal tales, right? Um, I I have a really shitty response to this, mm -hmm. which is... I have a work-related reason that I don't feel comfortable answering this, which okay. is not – I'm not writing an image book. I want to put that out there. Oh, the damn. But, like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable answering this mm -hmm. for professional reasons. Okay. I personally – shame. Yeah, it's a great question. Feeling. Yeah, you could really knock it out of the park. Uh, so my – I think this question's great. Image has always been a problem in a way for lots of reasons. Pre-Walking Dead, pre-Hollywood realizing comics were such a great R&D section of the woods, um, people talked about how Image was the place where people auditioned to get jobs at the big two. Like, you know, and then there was the next stage where people broke into the big two left did their own work and it was big and then it and then it fell apart went back to marvel and dc well went back to marvel and dc or as as i think uh thomas points out like you know basically was doing it to take their work to other media rick remander you know <laughs> kelly sue deconic you know like or, or even greg rucka you know there's there's a lot of people and there's a lot of reasons for it i mean unfortunately the problem is is that because hollywood is was unionized and has things like minimums uh and you can get health care uh and things it's it makes sense that it you know, there's always going to be people who do passion projects and there are people who can do them and, and even see a ton of money of, off them if they manage to hang in there and make it through to the end. But it is always a long, hard haul. Like we were talking about, you know, Jeff Smith's Bone, which is still just a fantastic comic to give to kids and there was a period there where he stopped doing it for something like two or three years and i was like "Ooh, that's never coming back you know similarly by the time dave sim crossed the the finish line with cerebus everyone was like who cares i mean you know in a way it was like yes i've now learned it like it kind of broke him so I mean, there's lots of reasons why comics are incredibly uh, – it's just debilitating fucking work. If you can take it into – if you can get paid better to do it or alternately, you know, 
even get it so that other people are helping you make the shit. Um, mm -hmm. Why, you know, kind of why shouldn't you, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, ha I have a lot, a lot of sympathy for any, you know, because I think there are people who, like us, love comics more than any other medium. But, but, but it is, it's just grueling. So, I yeah. think it sounds terrible, but I think it's actually easier to love comics than better than any other medium when you don't work in them. Yes, I think that's absolutely as someone who 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 <laughs> several questions earlier chased a chased a career in comics had just barely after a lot of work grasped his his finger around the first rung, looked at how far was left to climb and was just like, is this really fucking worth it? Like, what am I going to be at the end of this and how am I going to feel about this medium? So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fucker of a field for that reason. So, um, but yes, I also believe that frankly, there's always going to be personal tales told more so than ever. I just think that again, whether or not you see them in image and frankly, you still sort of do like, you know, they took a chance on prism stalker, even if they then, you know, chickened out or its sales just weren't worth it or whatever, you know? So that Sloan's still out there. She's going to kill someday soon. She's just going to knock everyone dead. Um, and, and frankly, the internet is filled with amazing, amazing cartoonists doing amazing comics. So, so I'm not worried about that, but I don't know if we'll ever see the end of Saga, and that does make me sad. I don't think we will. You don't think we'll see the, see it? I don't think we will either, no. which is just... Yeah, I think I think it's done. I, I do think it's done. That's not true. I think it's done until, like, basically Brian K. Vaughan has nothing else to do. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think when, when basically he's desperate. Really? Because I think... I, every, well, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, definitely... For whatever reason, I don't think we're going to see the end of it. Uh, and then, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'm so late in asking the question that I bet it's been asked already, so I will ask as a backup. I recently took a look at Lobdell's work on Red Hood after reading the news he was leaving the character. I have to say, after this question, I thought, like, maybe I'll sit down and read all that garbage. Since the start of the new 52, Lobdell has built this crazy backstory and world of mystical presences, and all of this is just ignored outside of the series, LOL. Have either of you ever taken a look at this series? I I haven't. I'm sure Graham has. I also haven't read, but I, I also am thinking about going back to do it. So yeah, uh... yeah. Let's see. Ask us in six months. Maybe we'll be like the the wrongly overlooked classic. Gary Burr says, "Here's a couple of easy questions. To celebrate your anniversary. Spoilers: The second one is not easy. What once favorite creators and their works have not aged well for you? What creators and their works did you once dislike but now seem absolutely wonderful? Any thoughts on the reasons for these changes in perception?" John Byrne once favored has not aged well. Right. Kirby disliked and now seems absolutely wonderful. Wow. Me too. Me too. Wait, you went through a period of disliking Kirby? Have we ever talked about this? When I was a kid, this? I didn't like Kirby. Oh, yeah. No, I, I also kind of didn't as well. Um, But yes, now I absolutely thought, I thought love them. Stuff was ugly. Yeah. Like, visu visually ugly. Yeah, visually ugly and or, um, yeah, creepy slash scary, If although I couldn't quite articulate it even that well. Um, yeah, any thoughts on the reasons? Because Kirby's awesome and Burn. Yeah, because so he got smarter. Yeah. Well, I, honestly, it's because uh, I think the reason is 
for me at least, I stopped placing value on like an aesthetic prettiness. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that was I remember very clearly. Burn appealed because it was aesthetically pretty to me. Yeah. 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 No, he. His right. there was a long period where his work was tidy, you know, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in a very in a very modern way. But yeah, yeah, weirdly enough, it's strange because someone else who I think of, someone who I I didn't wasn't necessarily that crazy about, but but didn't mind, and then realized I later adored Jim Apparel. His stuff is fucking great, yes. and is yes. he is also sort of similarly tidy, but. His work is dynamic in a way that that Byrne really made the anti Kirby choices as his career went on, and um and I and I think those choices were I paid the price. Yeah, really deleterious in the long run. Um, thinking about Archie Goodwin and Karen Berger and other editors from the past whose books were a guarantee of something of at least quite uh quite interesting and worth a read. Which editors working to today turn out a similarly consistently high quality of books? That's a toughie, uh, especially since a bunch of them just got laid off by DC last <laughs> week. Uh, Chris Conroy's still at DC, and Chris Con- Conroy generally uh, gets me to pay attention to a book. Mm, okay. I might I might not like it, but he'd get me to pay attention to a book. Mark Doyle, again, mm-hmm. just laid off, but like I'd at least check out the first issue. Right. Berger's still at, at Dark Horse. I'd still check out That's what right. she did. Mm-hmm. Andy Curry, I, again, uh, who I mentioned, I thought was one. He was an enormous troll and a terrible pain in the ass, and I'm convinced a repugnant human being. But Stephen Wacker, I thought, was a really good editor of comic books, and yes. I would I anything that he was on more often than not was was at least worth a look. And usually, I ended up liking. There were a huge huge caveats there with that. Um, it runs, I would say, about uh, maybe uh, 50-50 with Tom Prevort. I actually, Prevort has a lot of tastes that I like and a lot of dudes that he is champion, such as Al Ewing or, or Ed Brubaker, have gone on to do like some of my all-time favorite Marvel books. Um, I just wish that he knew how to treat Jim Starlin appropriately, so... Uh, apparently he doesn't yes not at all so that those those would be my picks i think jeff we have four questions left from twitter who got their questions in before episode 300 yeah we have also been recording for a really long time and it's 10 30 at night yeah yeah let's do the last four right really quickly yes okay no offense to these people but again, I don't want to. Uh, first of all, I don't want to do a third question and answer session. Yeah, we just can't. And and also, like, I I, I I'm tired. To be perfectly blunt with everyone, <laughs> again, it was an eight year old's birthday today. It's That's 10, true. You're you you deserve an award. You really do, Graham. Hicks says, let's assume there are four important aspects to a comic book event. One, quality of story. Two, quality of art and covers. Three, impact, legacy, and launching pad for comics and concepts. Four, eventiness, scale, scope, or the cool wow factor. With this in mind, what do you think of the best DC and Marvel events? Honestly, I the, the ones that come to mind for me are Infinity Gauntlet, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, Final Crisis... There's got to be another one at Marvel that I thought really nailed it. 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, there's no. Well, no, because I mean. Infantry War. Right, exactly. I am um, going to give you time to, to think of one by saying, uh, for me, Crisis and Infinite Earths fit your criteria. My favorites are Millennium and DC 1 million. Right. Which I've, I've said many times before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for Marvel, my favorite Marvel crossover isn't an official crossover in the way that we understand it, but the Mutant Massacre. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, my stuff is more like little mini subdued events that I thought were super great and cool. The Avengers Defenders War, Jeff. Yeah, right. The Avengers Defenders War, which was pretty, which felt really big at the time. Yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, there's there's probably some others, but so let's let's keep it at that to keep it minimum. Uh, not very surprising in many ways, but those those are the ones. Uh, Matthew Murray. Maybe building off this, could you describe the major Marvel DC event that you do if for some reason you were given permission to do so, whether this is Jeff's everyone gets new secret identities thing or something else? Uh, favorite intercompany crossovers? Uh, dream intercompany crossovers that haven't happened? I'm like, well, I'm loving these these things in italics. And then I realized those it's are yours. my answers. Yeah, my answers, answers are so love. good. Yeah, okay. Uh, Jeff Sanders are great. Uh, my major Marvel DC event, if I do, if I had a reason, I don't like have a plot. But if I was doing a DC one, it'd definitely be Fourth World based, mm. and it would probably be like a full-on apocalypse invasion of Earth. Ooh, that's um, very cool. Marvel. Fuck, you know what? My mar- favorite Marvel one, if it's not the Massacre, maybe it genuinely might be Secret Wars. Yeah. Honestly, like I get Secret Wars. Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a lot uh, of fondness for that one, yeah. actually. Um, and I would want to do something that was similar to that. Not in terms of, you know, doing the Beyonder again. Mm-hmm. But something in terms of, it actually was a relatively self-contained That's story. Right. Mm-hmm. That featured the biggest characters, but also not that many of them. Yes, you know, like, the cast list was relatively restrained, even though it didn't feel like it at the time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, true. So, maybe something similar to that. Otherwise, I'd do something Micronauts related, if you had to ask me a plot. Ooh. I mean, Micronauts aren't in, aren't owned by Marvel, but, like, the Microverse is. Right. And a lot of stuff from Micronauts series is still owned by, by Marvel. Right. Uh, and I'd probably want to do something like that. There's some way to bring Bar- Baron Karza back give him a different name yeah uh like something like that would be fun because he was basically dr doom if dr doom was actually evil and also completely all about cloning and body horror yeah that's right like i feel like there's something to be done there maybe Hmm. favorite intercompany crossovers i'll tell you jeff's batman dreads punisher archie though he really doesn't like jeff love very much at all his batman spirit was quite good all three of those are true (laughs) yes um I'd add to that uh, uh, X-Men Teen Titans. Mm, mm. X-Men Teen Titans is fucking great. It, also, for that matter, it's the um, Spider-Man Superman. The first Spider-Man Superman is really good, The too. first Spider-Man Superman is great. The thing about X-Men Teen Titans is it is somehow simultaneously fantastic and a letdown at the same time. Yes. It is, but I like the fantastic elements a lot. The the fantastic elements are like all time great. It's it. I still can't figure out why I walk out disappointed with that one. 
Anyway, uh, I'm going to read my own answers, thank you, for dream intercompany crossovers that haven't happened yet, because I like all of my choices. Uh, Man-Thing slash Hookjaw, that's a dream made in heaven. And maybe you could get Shaco in there as well, which would be fabulous. I was going to say, Shaco really should be there. Did you see the god, I think it was the action special that Rebellion put out? It was Hookjaw versus Shaco? No. No, is that yeah. out yet? I think yeah, I heard that yeah. it was coming out. Fuck, I gotta. No, go. no, it, it came out a month or so ago. Shit. All right, I gotta track that down. Uh, Punisher Dread with a question mark because part of me is like, I feel like it could work, but it almost seems a little too. Yes. I don't know, something. I feel like it could go horribly wrong depending who's doing it. Really? Yeah. Exactly. Really easily. And the thing that actually is a bummer is is that. I really quite like and is his Punisher, but would not want to see him do Dread again at all. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, there's got to be someone who's done both well. Uh, I mentioned uh, the Teen Titans Cartoon Network version of um, meeting One Piece, which I think would be absolutely fabulous uh, and good for both audiences. And my favorite big dream never going to happen, uh, Dark, sea, Dark Side Dread. And yes. Batman yes. GoGo13. Now, I do want to say, actually, that this, to tie everything together, and I know we're going super quick, but um, a few years back, there is a certain someone who will go unnamed who was actually consulting with IDW and was more or less came to me and was like, hey, man, if you want to try pitching um, a crossover, like they're really into crossing over their characters with other characters and materials. So if you can do something that they have a property for or with, and the the sample was they had just gotten the okay to do Star Trek Planet of the Apes. Um, and they were like, so if you can do something, and Graham, I looked for the notes so that I could talk about this, but I actually lost my mind and i literally came up with a judge dread planet of the apes star trek and there was one other licensed property crossover and i can't remember who it was and it was really it was absurd and over the top was it transformers as well i don't remember but i couldn't That's find ambitious, it if nothing else chef we'll see so it's it all it was going to be called lawgivers because and what would happen is is basically the world would have imploded like all these licenses basically got trapped in a singularity and so five years later it's like dread and gorillas enforcing the law in ape city one and I don't remember where the other characters were or how it came into it. But I, oh my God, that's amazing. I, I know, right? I'm still always so like, oh, <laughs> lawgivers, yes! So, um, yeah, so that so I wanted to mention that because I'll never think of it again, and that's what it made me think of. Fuck. <laughs> Matthew Murray asks, what do you think might have happened to DC as a company or universe if Dead meant dead and they'd never brought back Oliver Queen, Hal Jordan, Barry Allen? Uh, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have had Blackest Night. We wouldn't have. Had, I I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. Especially if you consider that Dead might have meant Dead, but they still would have done the New Fifty Two. I think that's actually a, a brilliant point. So yeah, since Matt Matthew, since you also got a question earlier that we probably sped through, 
we'll have to return to this another time. I don't think you'll worry too much about it. And then Jason, 1749, asks, episode 300 question. Now that it's a while in the rearview mirror, what is, what is each of your number one takeaway from reading all those FF comics? I have two, but I'll make them fast. Graham, do you want to start? Uh, there are an astonishing number of Bad Fantastic Four comics. Yeah, just a ton. Just a ton. Um, what... It's a series that is bad more often than it's good. Right. Yes, overall for those first 416 issues. My big takeaway is um, it is a shame that if Stan Lee and Jack Kirby had actually had a better working relationship, like if they had been working in tandem the whole time instead of the dysfunctional way that they were doing, I think think that thing I think that the FF would have been even better and they could have gone on even longer um I think that Lee adds a lot to the FF that really does make it it is more than the sum of its parts but I think could even be more sumsier than the partsier uh and then like I said the other the other number one takeaway is um I'm a sucker for romance of a certain kind of romance. And there's a lot of romance in the Fantastic Four, not always done especially well. In fact, more or less almost the opposite. And in a lot of cases, it just turned into cut and paste Ben and Alicia out on the street with him in an overcoat kind of thing. Um, but whenever it did start to move, even like the stuff with Johnny and Frankie Ray under burn stuff, that totally fucking worked for me. Like, I don't even really like Johnny Storm as a character that much. And there were moments where his marriage to uh, quote unquote Elysia, his on and off again with Lysia, the stuff going on with the thing i was i'm i'm into a huge chunk of it even if they had played um the 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 namer reed sue love triangle a little bit differently like i think i think that was my my big realization is like oh i'm 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 more of a i want more romance in my comics that i'm really willing to not even Mm -hmm. willing I knew that it was part of it, but the older I get, the more I'm like, yeah, fuck the rest of this stuff. I've seen 900 people punching. I don't know no, how many satisfying it. superhero relationships I've seen. The soap point. opera stuff, you realize the older you get, I think. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just you and me. Soap opera stuff is really the heart of it. Yeah. If yeah. you can get the soap opera stuff right, I can forgive any number of like superhero fightless comics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or bad superhero fights. If you get the soap opera right, I'm there. Yes, absolutely. But if you get the soap opera right, I'm more likely to jump off the book. Yeah, and what I think is funny is I feel as if that was openly accepted as talked about as the secret of the industry. Way back when. Yeah, like in the 70s and 80s, and we slowly erase that or something. I don't know. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. So... Ta-da! So the, yes, that's that's a, there are, people did ask questions after issue three hundred, uh, episode three hundred, and maybe we'll get to those someday. But it's not now because it's ten forty five, and I'm really tired. Yeah, and also I've not told Jeff the reason why I want to postpone next week's episode to the following week. It should be a drug. This week should have been a drug, but we postponed that so we can finish the questions. Next week should be a drug. 
and the next episode we record will be a drog. But it turns out I'm working next month, uh, next Saturday. Really? I'm working a full day because it's DC fandom. Oh, of course, of course. And, and I literally looked at the schedule, and I would have been working right up until we were recording. Oh God, no. Okay. And honestly, the idea, and this is no slam on anything because i think fandom might end up being really interesting Mm -hmm. but the idea of starting work around i think when was my first panel that i was going to be watching uh yeah starting work at nine o'clock and then basically working straight through one way or another until like 10 30 at night Mm -hmm. felt like a very bad idea yeah yeah that Um, that does sound like a bad idea i am i am requesting you, Jeff, and you listeners. That <laughs> you know, until the week after. Uh, uh, for dro- absolutely. Absolutely. I have to say it is pretty, I got to give DC credit. I just the other week, I was like, yeah, I, you know, we, we didn't get our, our San Diego skip week. You yeah, know, no, they, they, they brought it in. Yep. They managed, they, they managed they to work it in there. Yeah. I, I'm impressed with them. Okay. So, Right. So what will happen is there will be, let me save this. We will, yeah, we will record Drock on, uh, basically look for it on uh, August 31st, last day of the month. Yes. And next week will be a skip week. A skip week. And I will be, um, I'll be watching lots of things on the internet about DC. Yes, you which will. Which were all shot like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that might be weird. That probably will be weird. I have to say, I went to they because I got some email and they're like DC fandom, like go build your schedule now. And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of curious to see what the schedule's like. And you can't really look at the schedule unless you create an account and log in. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, fuck that. I, I, I looked at the schedule, Jeff, and let me tell you, it's fucking weird that a lot of these panels are less than twenty minutes. Wow, really? Like people are getting getting the in and getting out really fucking quickly. Wow, that is that is very weird. Oh, someone said something they wanted from episode three hundred was me talking vaguely about something and then talking about it anyway. Yes. So I kind of did that earlier by talking about image comics, but um, I'm I'm going to more more correctly talk about it, um, which is there is a lot of people are like. There's a surprise DC Comics panel at DC Fandom. <clears throat> this has obviously been added after everything that happened this week. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, no, no, it hasn't. Oh, really? Surprise DC Comics panel has always been part of Fandom. Ooh. So you can't... Da, say... da, da. Yeah, that's... There you go. Wow. You fulfilled I would, the request. I, I wish I could even hint at what it is, but I genuinely don't know. Oh, okay. But I do know... That it existed before Monday. Okay. Okay. I do wish. I'm like that's probably because as close I, as we're going to get I, listeners. So I mean, yeah, you know, I, I well the reason I know this is someone mentioned it to me before Monday. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, and I will also. This is my other tease for people who are watching DC uh, fandom. Uh to the best of my knowledge, there is a, a there are panels that don't look like you should be paying attention, mm-hmm. and you should be. Hmm. Hmm. 
Uh, and again, I can't say which ones because I don't know. But I know that things are meant to be announced in places where you wouldn't expect them to be announced. I see. Huh. Well, that's fascinating, Graham. I have to say congratulations. You... On being, I did see. I managed to get super vague, but in this case, it's me being vague because, like, I don't actually know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's acceptable oh, so or you... permissible by law. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yes, one us. We will be back in two weeks with a drop. Uh, it would be next week, but I'm being shit because of my job. I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you want me to record a podcast after working for like, you know, however many hours that would be. I would be brain dead. Yeah. We're... Especially like a jock, I would be utterly brain dead. Yeah, completely, completely. We don't want that. So join us two weeks from now where you'll be reading the latest case files and the first Batman Dread crossover. I say latest because I don't even remember. Is it volume 18? 17. 17. Okay. Case file 17 and uh, the first Batman Dread. One of them is good. Yeah. Just, just putting that out there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Um, um, yeah. yeah, so we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, thank you, everyone, who asked uh, questions. Oh, wait, I should actually probably say, it's going to be show notes for this up on waywattpodcast.com. Yep. Uh, uh, in the meantime, you can hope that I'm going to have time in the brain space to do more than one Tumblr post at waywattpod.tumblr.com. Uh, there's an Instagram I haven't updated in ages either, instagram.com forward slash waywattpod. Really, it's been very busy and weird recently. Yep. Um, we have a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supporter podcast. Jeff, take it away. Yes. Hey, listeners, you are the best. You keep us excited, you keep us motivated, and you throw enough questions at us that we can fill up something like six hours of podcasting. So, Thank you for that. And thank you to the lovely people of Patreon who not only do that, but also throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh to keep us um, uh, some simultaneously humble and proud uh, and excited and motivated to keep, to keep on doing what we're doing and hopefully do it as well as we can, we hope. Um, also want to give huge shouts out to... Dominic L. Franco and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, we're especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast. And as you know, they are the what designated galactic defenders for this sector of the celestial realm. Um, we appreciate everything they do in keeping us safe. Graham? Strange but true. You said they are the weight undesignated. I really want to say drivers afterwards. I really <laughs> did. I, I can't explain it. Um, yeah, we're going to be back in two weeks, everyone. Thank you very much for asking questions. Thank you very much for listening to us as we have meandered, meandered, I say, all the way through this. Uh, we're incredibly grateful that you're still hanging around. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Bye!